Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. So, sitting down here at the uh, Western Hunt Expo on the Finding Backcountry podcast, um, lucky enough to have uh mark smith and uh robbie denning jump on the podcast with me and how does the audio sound guys i mean we got we got four headsets here you're a little quiet yeah and i'm trying to find which one i am testing i'm a bit loud in my ears yeah that's good right there how now brown cow how now brown cow yeah i'm not i'm not picking there is that better Look, this guy shut up, man. That thing's loud. A little bit better. Don't he realize people's trying to podcast up yeah, in here? Come on, man. He saw me walk in. You he should me? know. You saw me? <laughs> no, and it's, you know, I was talking to somebody else, and it actually makes the editing a little bit easier because there's so much noise that you're not worried about every little, you know. If I fart or burp uh, yeah, or something. Yeah, Mark's, like, Mark's farts and burps. He's warning you right now, dude. That's, well, you gave me cashews but dude, before noon. It's even if you can't hear them, I can still smell them. So remember, <laughs> they put me right next to you. So Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, just uh, I'm, I'm, I'd like to start by saying I'm humbled that uh, two mule deer aficionados uh, as yourselves would, you know, be willing to sit down. And that's, that's one thing I love about coming to the expo is um, the opportunity to sit down, not just on the podcast, but in person. Um, because I, I think it just plays better um, in a podcast setting to sit across from one another oh, yeah. and feed off of, you know, off of your, uh, you know, your everyone's inter- uh, reactions and stuff. And so um, this is just this is a good opportunity to sit down and, uh, you know, get as much mule deer knowledge out of you guys as we can. And, um, you know, we got we got Corey on the line, too. And so him and I will kind of be the the, uh, you know, millennials asking the the. Uh, what Sen- are we, Mark? Seniors? Are you comfortable? Don't say senior. Are you we comfortable? Not there yet? Aren't we Generation X? I think, they so. us? We think yeah. we're X. Yeah, we're okay. X. Yeah. I was going to call was, you um, seasoned vets. We were the 10th generation in America, I think, is where that came from. Yeah, right, right. 200 years. You remember fourth grade? They had yeah. a little party in our, yeah, you know. for sure. America's birthday. I do remember that. Heck yeah. Yeah. And Mark and I are the same age, almost. Pretty I'm close. I'm older than Mark. Yeah, we're, he's, yeah, he's more I, mature. He's 87 graduate, <laughs> I 88 graduates. I thought you were going to say I was 87 years old. I'd say, easy, bro, easy. <laughs> no, man, your hair is yeah, too yeah, awesome. I, look, I know I that. Yeah. Who's, uh, hair who's, dye does a lot. Who's the better mule deer hunter? Robbie. No, no, For Mark. Sure. Let's, not, ju- let's dude, jump right into it. I don't, I don't think <laughs> Who's the better gets, hunter? Robbie. Dude, no, that's not the question to ask, dude. It's it's who's the killer is I what it say, is, but dude. The, but the, the deadliest, the poor mule deer herd, probably muley slayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I no. like to stack them deep. Yeah. You know no, what I'm saying? I, I stack them deep in the freezer. That's, Robbie's. A, that's a Texas coming out in you. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Well, it, go, it goes Jester, deeper I can't than help that. It, so. it goes deeper than that, Mark. <laughs> I happen to know where I come from, dude. Raccoons, turtles, rabbits. Those are our pets, dude. Where yeah. you come from, you guys eat those That's things. That's my supper. Yeah. So, so if it gets down to just who's the cold-blooded killer, right there. 
So, Robbie, real quick, where, where did you, uh, what's kind of your background? Where did you grow up and how did you, I mean, just real quick, how did you get into, you know, where, how did Mule Deer become your passion? Yeah, um, I grew up in southeast Idaho. Um, I was born in 69, so by the time I was, you know, conscious, it was mid-70s. My dad was a, a big mule deer hunter, and, um, and buck hunting was pretty good back then. It was still hard, but it was just the culture I grew up in, you know, late rifle seasons, over-the-counter tags. You know, we weren't archery hunters at that time, and uh, just got in my blood. And so by the time I was, uh, you know, 15, 16 years old, you know, I was a pretty troubled kid. I had a lot of problems back then. Thank God I had a good dad. But hunting kind of kept me from going too far off of the edge. So by the time I was 20 and got my life cleaned up, um, mule deer hunting had been a big part of my life, you know, 10, 15 years. I'd never got a big buck, but had seen some. And you know how that is, Mark. Yeah. You, it just does something to you. Yeah, and so that's you, what I wanted to do. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. And, and uh, you know, 28 years later, I'm made enough mistakes that I've learned a few things and killed a few, but the fire's still burning. Yeah. Well, Mark, you, you grew up in Texas, obviously. How do you think that differs, you know, for someone who, you know, is maybe listening to this that didn't grow up out West, kind of in the, in the heart of it, um, what advice would you have or how is that different for someone that kind of, you know, is getting in from the outside in, so to speak? Over my 24-year, 20, 24-, 25-year experience of hunting mule deer, I'd say I've had – pretty good i've had good success i've been able to get it accomplished the things i wanted to do and the way i approached it was i was not born and raised in mule deer country i came from east texas to el paso i've told the story a million times and from from there i went into new mexico what i would suggest to anyone that's you're following this it's a coming from back east or whatever wanting to try mule deer hunt and this goes against every thread of my being is the first time you go Save your pennies and hire some kind of an outfitter. Mm -hmm. Have them take you and show you around so that, number one, for your overall experience and your safety, there's some really hardcore guys that want to do it yourself, and, and there's a million guys that are going to and do well at it. But for the ex overall experience, what I did was I, we, Sean Dennison sitting here with us today, he was on my first mule deer hunt with me ever. You know what I mean? And we came over and paid a guy 150 bucks a day. He bounces around the National Forest in the back of a truck. We were sitting on the cooler in the back of the truck, all but had knocked arrows. And he said, if a buck runs out, shoot it. And we're like, this is how it's done in New Mexico. Okay, we were down the Gila, Gila National Forest. We were actually in 15A, like, premier. I mean, like, we're bouncing around road hunting looking at 330 bulls, man. It's like, we, we shoot those? <laughs> this is not Alaska. You can't put your mule deer tag on those, you know. So uh, we, we saw bucks, but that's where the passion for me started. That's where I saw the first ones. And I went, oh, my gosh, God, that is the most beautiful thing God has ever created on this planet other than my wife. i got to have some of that. I want one of those. And so uh, I, I, that's where my passion developed for them. But what I'm saying is if you're going to come out and you really want – if you're like, hey, I want to be a, I want to start hunting mule deer. I think I like it. I would, I would, and bow hunts are cheap. I mean, for mule deer in a lot of the states, Colorado and whatever, three or four but thousand do bucks a, probably. And you don't have to do a horseback backcountry hunt. Just find a guy that's an outfitter, has got a cabin, uh, and and takes you out on public land, and you pay, pay a couple of grand and go see the country, see the gear, understand it. Then if you develop a passion for mule deer, then just start. Reaching out to Rock Slide, Team Backcountry, Muley Slayer, David Long. Start reading these books. Go to use the, the, the stuff necessary. That's where I do 99% of my research, and we'll get into that later, I think, for guys back east. Is I just, if I want to know something, the, the term at my house is Google it. 
Just Google it. Might be my father-in-law. He, that's the most inquisitive man I know. And he says to me 10 times a night over there watching TV with him, hey, Google this for me. Hey, Google <laughs> this for me. Hey, and so we, we, we just learned so much from that. Just type in, I want to shoot a mule deer. Mule deer in Colorado. Best place, Colorado mule deer. Wyoming high country mule deer. Do it yourself, mule deer. Just type that and look what comes up. There'll be a lot of stuff pops up with you in it. There'll be a lot of stuff with me that pops up in it. A lot of stuff with Robbie will pop up in it. I've done it. Yeah. But just Google the words you want and just start, get a notepad and start making a plan. Does that uh, yeah. answer what you're looking did, for? Robbie, did you run an outfitting business for quite a while? Yeah, I still yeah. am. I'm a small outfitter. Small we, outfitter. Yeah, we operate on uh, <laughs> private land. It's just it's just simply to make the ends meet at my house. i got three great little kids at home. But there you, you know, go. Go home Robbie. Robbie. Just go find Robbie. Just go find Robbie. Oh, my gosh. Ours is much more geared to our elk. You know, elk, it's just the way the property runs. But I would of agree with things. Mark. And, yeah. I'd rather those hey, anyway. <laughs> there's a few good bucks there, but it's we don't put it this way. We don't sell any archery hunts on it because it's just not the uh, type of country that's conducive hey, to... to you, can, you can be honest. Those are for yeah. you. Yeah, well, Don't hey, you know, I've, 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 I've had uh, a couple of those properties for 15 years. I've killed one archery buck on them, if it tells you anything. so. But I'd agree with Mark is get some help and, you know, don't don't be ashamed to hire an outfitter. Unless you've got a buddy or a family out west that's really into mule deer hunting, it's it's a great way to shorten the learning curve. And, it's you know, I'm on Rockslide every day. I see these guys, and God bless them, you know, they live in Missouri. They want to come out and go mule deer hunting. But they get the crap beat out of them yeah. the first three, four years, you know, trying to, trying to learn. And, and you know what? if that's part of their adventure that's good you know that's fine but you know if, if you just want to shorten the learning curve and get get successful faster whatever that means to you you know whether it's big deer or just being successful just getting help i would be no different if i went back east to hunt big whitetails you know i'd i'd be clueless no matter how, how much i really read and did all that stuff if i could hook up with somebody that's got a property or an outfitter or you know just be lucky and have a, a friend out there that would take me yeah and then then you can get more into the diy after that yeah whether it's an outfitter or having a buddy man it is it's a big bite to to chew off um you know especially if you're you know, going to try to bow hunt and you're going to try to, there's just so many logistics to work out um, to go with someone that's already been there, whether it's a guide or just a, you know, someone that you meet on a forum rock slide or yeah, something that's, right. you know, got some experience that you can, that you can Imagine hook up with. Um, that's really loud. So we'll wait for this guy to. There you go. If you're, if you got a raffle ticket in for the sheep tag, it's coming up. Oh so. man, Mark's <laughs> gonna be running off from here, dragging that cord if they call his name. Right. You better talk, grab him. I don't talk, have nothing in there. Yeah. Talk about um, what is a guy like you? I'm always curious. What talk about the story of maybe the biggest buck that you've ever chased that you didn't end up killing, mm. and maybe what, that was just two years ago. <laughs> Fresh on your mind. I think oh, I know yeah. where that was at. Dude, jalapeno. We just talked about that. Yeah, jalapeno, man. That That's bucket. what you called him? Yeah, that was he his was name. Hot, hot, hot. He was hot, and it, <laughs> it was hot. I found him in, uh, it was about a three-year kind of a deal. I got to think here. I found him in 2012. And um, was doing a live hunt for Rock Slide. I was hunting with a gal by the name of Cindy Wamsley, new mule deer hunter, just trying to learn the ropes and everything. 
and I had I had pre-scouted this area, found like a 29-inch, kind of an ugly buck. He was kind of uneven and everything, but we'd never turn him down. And we hunted in there about five days. I had a Colorado uh, muzzleloader tag that year. It was opening in like a week. You know, I put my hunts too close together. So in that five days, we never did kill that 29-incher, but there was a beauty. We called him old 180. He's just a beautiful 180, slick-looking buck, just, just a dandy. You could tell he was a young buck. We saw him like every day. Um, got him on film. And uh, then in 2013, um, just on a whim, I thought, you know, I should go down there and scout, see if either of those bucks are there. And, you know, we didn't kill him. And went down there and found him. And he had just exploded. He'd gone from like 180 to 200, and he had such a beautiful basket frame. You could tell it was him. It was, and there's not very many deer there. You know, it's kind of a low country area, not a lot of deer. You know, I, I just knew it was him. And, and the year before, he had just a couple of real small bumps on, like he was going to start some cheaters, and those had all come out. So he was 200. Hunted him in 13. Uh, How just, old was he? Hey, that's a good question. Um, uh, at, at, by the end of the story, I, fig oh, I figured out he was about six years old. And I think that first year when he was 180, he was four. And this is all a guess. Right. But just by how his body changed and kind of what happened. So in, uh, in 13, same thing. I drew a Colorado muzzleloader tag in a good unit. So I had that hunt stacked together. And I uh, went down and hunted this buck. And... Got him at 18 yards laying down. I mean, he was dead to rights. I could see the tips of his antlers. Had a little spot in the sagebrush to shoot through. I mean, I thought, man, it's going to happen. And a big old cloud floated over the sun. I know this has happened to you before, Mark. And uh, when that happens, all the all the winds change. You could just feel. I mean, I panicked. It was like <laughs> that cloud went over the sun. And it was literally two minutes. He, he jumped out of that bed, and I couldn't get a shot at him. Found him again in 14. By now, he's like 210. I mean, he's he's a hog, and um, so you know you're thinking at this point it's a blessing that you didn't get him last year. Yeah, he's he even bigger, dude. Bigger. And now I know so much more about him. I you know I know where he feeds. I know where he beds. Um, I, I chased him 14, in 2014. I gosh, I think I was 11 days. I I, I hunted him. <laughs> had that Colorado tag again, so I had to get back down there, and. Um, uh, had him at like 45 yards one morning, you know, scraped my boot on the ground and scared him. And um, do you are vowed you, to go back and kill him? Are you a boot taker offer? I I was a boot taker offer most of the time, but it's real. There's a lot of cactus there, <laughs> so I was crawling across the ground over a little rise, and and I thought he was like a hundred yards down there. So I thought when I get to that rise, you know, I'll pull everything off. Well, either I misjudged the country or he had moved up a little bit. And so when I got up to that rise, I kind of scraped my foot a little bit and I heard something. I thought, man, that's close. So yeah. I kind of peeked up over the stage, 45 yards, standing right there looking at me. <laughs> Boom, gone. So I, I chased him 11 days, um, went to Colorado, came back, uh, about lost my job that year, chased him till the end of the season. And never, never saw him again after I spooked him that day. Of course, 2015, I was right back in there, and he disappeared. And I've, che I've checked for the next couple of years. Uh, so there, there's one that got away. And he's in my book, Jalapeno. He, he really was one of the best bucks I've seen in a long time. Idaho, Colorado, anywhere. If Robbie you, Denning talking about the biggest buck that ever got away. Yeah, because Mark wouldn't go with me, so he that buck's <laughs> alive. So no, I, he went or killed. I'm I'm pretty sure you know maybe sure. Pat got him or something. It's it's the kind of area where you can see the same bucks every year. I had a lot of people telling me, oh no, he just moved. He went somewhere else. Maybe, but most of the time, by the time they get that age, they're they stay there. Yep. You know, unless unless. <clears throat> What would killed. well? Let me hear your story, Mark. What what can you recall the biggest buck you've ever? I know chased? exactly what the biggest buck I ever. <laughs> biggest buck. Don't I, forget him. The biggest. Okay, so you're talking legitimately. 
Had a tag in my pocket. Could have shot a buck. Biggest buck of my life. It was that I just talked about it. Um, great white unicorn. It was the great white unicorn. Yeah. I, I was trying to think of who I talked to. It was John Stallone's uh, podcast. And I was thinking back. It was the biggest typical I've ever seen. And I could have killed him, but it wasn't the right. It was just, it was, I've never, I'm, I'm 47. And, and I've never felt like God stuck his finger in my eye. But one day he just poked me just, yeah. just, for, <laughs> just for grins. I feel like that happened. But in uh, 2008, uh, the last day of season, uh, I shot a meat buck. The last I'd hunted, and I, I've t- I'd hunted. I had hunted sheep, and I had four mule deer tags, an elk tag, two elk tags, four deer tags, an antelope. I'd had a bunch of tags, and I was just running hard. And I wanted to put meat in the freezer. Why? I had already full, you know. But I needed to fill that tag. It's just how I am. So I ran up to the mountain uh, in a second choice unit, Colorado. Ran up the mountain. Glassed from the highway. I glassed from. Oh, this is the highway buck. I, I know this story. From the highway and saw this buck, and I was like, "Man, I, I can have that buck on the ground today." I'm going, I'm, and I'm going. So I ran. Up, I say last day of season was Saturday. The season closes on Sunday, so I run up there. I get up into this. I get up about four thirty in the afternoon. The days are starting to get a little shorter. In late September, like September the twentieth or something, and uh, I get up there, and it's a hard antler, three year old, three by two, big forked horn on one side, three point, and uh, I shot him. He was going downhill 81 yards, shot him right right under the tail, man. <laughs> he was quartering, but then he turned right when I shot, and I caught him right square under the tail, and you know where that is. And the arrow came out kind of in the middle of his body, and I was shooting a rage two-inch cut, and, I, and it completely blew through him. And he went down the hill, and poor thing, man. He, he just went down the mountain, up the other side, and I saw him going to some timber, and I knew that deer was dead. I was like, I, I'm not even going to go over there today. It was late in the afternoon, so let's come back in the morning, and I'll just go get that buck. He'll be fine, you know. And uh, I went down and got the arrow, picked it up, smelled it, made sure, you know, there was some gut on it and stuff because of where it exited, you know. But I'm standing there holding the arrow, and I saw something in the willow patch to my right, and out stepped a little buck, a medium-sized buck, and a little fork and horn still in velvet. And this was like the 20th of September. And then out stepped probably... If I'm going to throw a number at you, looking at that deer in my mind's eye, the picture I had, easily to over 200 net clean four-point with probably a 28-inch inside spread, probably had 28 or 29-inch main beams, gigantic G2s, 22. And I remember he had like four-inch brow tines from you. Everything wow, you everything need to have a Boone and Crockett 200-inch typical. And he was standing there at 50 yards. And he stepped out with those other bucks and he looked at me. Different, different buck than the one you had just I just hit. shot a three-by-two. Yeah. Okay. This buck walks out at 60 yards, 55 yards. And I looked at him, and the, there was that instant, that human, I'm a human being. Oh, my God. I think I even reached down and put my hand on an arrow in the quiver. Mm. <laughs> and I just, oh, man. Do you know the glory that thing would bring me? Number one to myself. This is the buck of my dreams. This is going to put me on the radar and all that worldly garbage. And I, I just thought about it for two seconds. And I'm not going to lie. If I had been 25 and not 35, it probably would have been a different outcome. But people change as they grow up. They realize what's really important. And the number one thing in your life is hashtag integrity. That's the thing we started yeah. yesterday. Your integrity. <laughs> and your integrity doesn't mean what other people see about you. It's what, you, what, what the father sees about you. You know, he knows That's your right. heart. And so I saw that buck and, and I... I just, I just remember going, why, why did you do that? Like, why, why did you do that? 
and I'm still don't know, but it's okay. And I didn't talk about that. I didn't talk about that for a long time uh, because I went to the ATA show just following that season, and I talked to some pretty premier, high-profile, big-time bow hunters and told that story, and they told me I was a fool. And it hurt my – I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe – I can't believe that just came out of your mouth. Like, I told you the story that I passed this buck because I already had an arrow and a deer that was dead, and I knew it was dead, and you're going, forget that buck. Who cares? No one will ever know. Shoot that yep. buck, man, and get what you want, what you really want, right? It don't work that way. That's not how it's done, man. Not for me. And and and, and you're not going to do it with me, right? And it, you know what I mean. It, it'll be there'll be a physical altercation because I'm going to stop it from happening. It's, do you, don't do that because you're not you're not going to feel good about it. That bucks, yeah. the bucks' lives are exactly the same on this on this earth, right? right? Both of those bucks are exactly the same animal on this earth. Only we put that value on them. And uh, I felt pretty crappy about myself. I killed the buck and I was real proud of it. But man, for a long time, I beat myself up for even having the thoughts. But how do you? you that's what you're gonna think, right? But anyway, that, you, the biggest you, buck was like a 205 net four point. If I had to give you a number, and I had him at 55 yards, but I just put an arrow in a three year old three by two, and I had to do what I had to do. So, <laughs> do, you, do you think that that decision was honestly made on the mountain, or do you believe that 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 decision was made? years before that 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 decision was made a long time ago but uh, you still have to work on the fly yeah you have to work on the fly you know and you know know what i'm saying and so uh anyway sometimes i feel like when i tell stories like that i'm trying to self-glorify or it might sound like i'm trying i'm not i'm saying you're going to make some mistakes in the woods and those things stick with you for a long time so be careful what you do because you even though it's just you man and and Robbie gave me some great scripture. I think you hit my post on that later. And man, there's a great you passed the test. Man. Great, there's what a great. What we do in yeah, secret. Yeah, what we do in secret. Uh, God will lift you up later publicly for it. And so, anyway, maybe that's what's happening now. Anyway, well, on to the next thing. That's, you, one things. one question on that. Do you think if you were 25 and you shot that buck, how do you think like that'd make you feel today? Because it'd be hanging on your wall, obviously. Like uh, had 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 you done something different 10 years earlier. I mean, do you think that kind of ruins a trophy like that in your yeah, own mind? Yeah, because I would have lied then. Right. I would have said. You had I would have never said anything about the first buck. Right. And I would have said, "Man, I killed this buck," and I, I just and then I'm like, uh, "That just been looking at you." And it would have just ate at me. And uh, knowing me now, I would never. I would just would never have told the story. Right. Uh, wouldn't have, God wouldn't able to do His work? I wouldn't have been able to do this for Him uh, or anybody. And. Uh, the deer would hang in there and it'd probably be stuffed in a corner somewhere and everybody'd be looking at my 180 bucks and my 150 bucks going, yeah, but why is that 200 over there in the corner? That seems kind of fishy, yeah, <laughs> right? right? And so then I'd probably just end up getting rid of it, to be honest with you. Honestly, I'd probably just go toss it or I'd go sell it and buy my beautiful wife some jewelry or something. <laughs> <laughs> Take her on a real mule deer hunt. Right. Yeah. So anyway. S- well, s- so speaking of big bucks, I mean, I know that across the West, in my opinion, there's... There's multiple states and multiple units within most states where you can pull out, say, a 200-incher or a, or a 180 buck. There's there's 200-inchers hitting the ground on a lot of states throughout the West. Not, I, I don't want to make it sound like 200-inchers are common, but it's not, you know, in Utah, it's, just, it's not Ponsagon. just the limited, in, yeah, it's yeah. not just the Henry Mountains. And so my right. question for you is, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be relative to big bucks necessarily, but how do you choose... A hunting unit when you're applying for a tag is it just 
do you just apply for the, the, the Henry Mountain type hunts that are the most sought after? We're gonna, let's talk about overall tag strategy. Let's just yeah. talk about overall planning yep. and overall strategy for, for, for today, for this season, like a, a one-year, five-year, ten-year plan, right? Sure. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Go ahead, Robbie. That sounds great. <laughs> um, you know what? Thanks, Mark. Hands that off to me. Hey, before, before we go on to that, I wanted to say something on what Mark just said about passing up that big typical. And, and, and he's right uh, in that um, when I was young, I had one of those situations, and I didn't do the right thing. And if you go to the very first blog post I ever wrote on Rockslide, it's called Am I Clean? And I, and I put that on there so guys knew that, that number one, you know, I don't want to have a split personality here and people think somebody, I'm somebody I'm not. When I was in my early 20s, um, a friend had a late buck hunt in Idaho, uh, limited quota tag, and needed some help, physically just needed some help getting around. And I helped him a lot, and um, I ended up killing his buck for him, yeah. what we call party hunting. And, of course, that was all good with him. That's what he wanted. He was tired of going. And um, it was a pretty good buck. And later on, he ended up even giving me the buck because of what you said, Mark. Later on, when the the truth is revealed, even I don't care if you believe in God or not, you got a conscience because God gave us everyone, everybody a conscience. I began to feel like, and he did too, that, man, this buck doesn't really mean anything to me. It didn't mean anything to him. We've kind of passed it back and forth over <laughs> yeah. the years. And it's a shame. I still have the buck. But it's a shame that that that, that follows that buck around because he didn't do anything. Right. It was us that made the decision. And yeah. I was closer to it than my buddy was. He couldn't get a shot. He'd already told me, man, if I can't get him, just take him. And I did. And, and I've regretted it the rest of my life yeah. is, is what I'm saying. So. Well. And I mean, par- party hunting was it? It was a real thing. It was. You know? and, it was. And, and, you can and, still do it in Iowa, where I'm from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, that's there's, legal. There's still backwards, Dad, yeah. backward states in the Midwest, apparently, where yeah. they're still doing it. Just no, and, not archery, but slug season. You know, and, and 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 I don't say that as justification. I say it as just that's the reality of you know, even even someone as a little bit younger than you guys. I grew up, and when I very first started hunting. I, we party hunted. Yep, totally. And, and it wasn't it wasn't uh, anything other than just, honestly, it was just the family experience. It was yep. just certain people were out there, and, oh, we drew a tag, and it was an opportunity. Back then, social media didn't exist anyway. Right. So right. it wasn't for the fame other than just maybe your buddies. That you was know, your social media, that little group yeah, of people. just your three buddies that you were around the campfire with or whatever. Um, it was just It was just because, you know, you're out there with your buddy or your family. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way that it was. And it's, it wasn't right. And it was probably even, you know, not legal back then. It wasn't but, legal. I totally uh, broke the law when I did yeah. that. You yeah. know, totally, totally. And, um, but, but just what Mark said, I wanted to hit on that, that, that that was a test, Mark, that you had from the Lord. And you passed, man. You passed. Now you got a clean conscience. I hear you talk about it in your, in your seminars and everything. Everybody says, oh, man, how do you spend so much time in the backcountry, sometimes alone? And your answer is always the same. Clean conscience. And, and, and I know what you mean. And, and five years later, I had another buddy draw that same tag. And by that time, like Mark said, I'd gotten a little bit older. I'd felt that regret, you know, that, that this, this wasn't cool. We don't even respect this buck. Had another buddy draw that tag. Same kind of a deal. He wasn't very healthy. He needed some help. And I just made up my, my mind. I'm not doing that again. Never doing it again. And it was almost like a replay, Mark. So yeah. I think these tests come, man. Yeah. And, and and the same thing, five, six days of hunting, the guy's like, if you see one, dude, and you can get it. And I told him I'm not yeah, doing don't, it. Don't I even don't, say that to me. I'm like, not pe- even doing it. To this day, yeah. I get people that somehow end up hunting with them or whatever, and they're like, hey, if you get a chance to bust it, no, 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 no. 
Nope. No, <laughs> no, don't want to hear it. We're here uh, for uh, ourselves. No. And on the, on the the second of the last day of the season, I remember it closed November 30th, and we'd been seeing some pretty good bucks. I called him up, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, hey, are you ready to go? I'm going to come over. He says, you know what? I'm done. He goes, I've got enough days on this. He says, if you just want to go up and get one, it's fine. I'll come up later and tag it. And and I'd already made up my mind, like Mark said. That, that decision was made years ago. And uh, I told him, nope, no worries. We just let the tag go. And honestly, that's when my hunting started to change for me. I started to value it more, mm-hmm. and I became more successful. Yeah. And I don't want to get into a bunch of hocus-pocus kind of stuff. I'm just saying that once you have that moment come and, 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 you, and you pass that test, even if nobody else knows it, you're going to know it, and it's going to make you a better person. Cool. Just, All just, right. Well, just thanks, no. thanks for that information. Bet, That's just good bet, for everybody bro. to know, man. Now let's so. talk tag strategy. Okay. Get out of this heavy stuff. Get it, Mark. All right. Well, you just talked for a while, so I'll go I, for I it. put you on the spot, but I'll go back. And this is how this is how I did it in Colorado. And so let's say from '95 to 2000, I lived in New Mexico, and the only places I hunted were tags. I, I could just go buy tags at that time, right? And so. I didn't really ever apply for anything too much. <clears throat> we lost Corey. Yeah, bathroom break. Oh, so <laughs> I uh, I didn't apply for any tags really, other than you know, like I would apply for the, the the tags in New Mexico. You have to apply for rifle tags, but for the longest time you could just get bow tags, and that's why I started bow hunting when I moved out west. It was a different Texas, you know. I can hunt all the time. I can hunt for three months, <laughs> one month dedicated to bow hunting, and then the rest of the three months I could take whatever I want. And back then, from October. October 1 to 31, it was archery. But, man, November 1, I was picking up my 25 out 6, and I wasn't looking back, man. I was going to go mow down some deer, right? <laughs> and so I moved out west, and I had to pick or choose weapon. I pick or choose a state, pick or choose an animal. Pick. So I was like, man, I just want to hunt. So I'm just going to start. I want to get good at bow hunting. So my strategy always was I'm just going to get bow tags. That way I can just hunt all the time for all the – and like I said, I lived in the four corners. So I hunted New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Arizona. And I hunted the for, uh, the Navajo Indian Reservation, which is just national forest land anyway, you know, that they manage. Yeah. And so uh, four or five mule deer tags every September, an elk tag or two here or there, and that was how I hunted. As I started venturing out, I never, I've never hunted a unit in Colorado that took more than one point in all the 20 years I lived there. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people go, Haven't, don't you know the Gunnison? Mm-hmm. Don't you ever go up to the Flat Tops of Meeker? Don't you know this part of the state? No. I always hunted zero or one point areas that I could hunt every year. Yep. And then I, um, I, and I just built an entire uh, hunting career, a very successful hunting career in Colorado on second choice units or first first choice no point units. Right? You can't you can't where I hunted a lot. You cannot get on a on a second choice, but it didn't take any points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, as I moved, I, I, then I started wanting to hunt here and there. So I started building up book cliffs, but I wanted to hunt the book cliffs. I saw Randy Elmer kill a nice buck in the book cliffs. It was like in the Hoyt catalog or something. I want to go there. <laughs> Somehow I found out he went to the book cliffs. Well, I know I got to go to the book cliffs and I put in for three years and got the dang thing. We went on three points and, uh, I was like, man, that's cool. But I wasn't building anywhere else. So for the longest time, I would just on a whim put in for something, and I was very lucky early on in my hunting career at drawing tags, and I'm not anymore. Something happened. I think it's I think it's shrinking opportunity, growing, yeah, and sure, I think the sure. backcountry hunting sport is growing, and so the people that will hunt places they used to would not hunt, and then that shrinking opportunity is yeah. just making tags harder to get. Yeah. So now my strategy is 
for eight straight years. I've come to this Dad Blame Expo, mm-hmm. and I've spent three or $400 a pop trying to get a tag, and I can't get one of those 200 tags. Worst, so. worst odds in the West. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but I try. Uh, <laughs> Me too. But I try. Watch, this joker just spent some money today, Sean. He'll Got to pay to play. He'll, he'll get his. But anyway, I've been building points. Uh, Utah is an excellent non-resident Friendly, friendly state, state. Yeah. and I've got seven or eight elk points, ten or eleven goat points, some cheap. You know, I'm building all those points for my premier animals. Um, I th- I think it's too friendly, honestly. It, yeah, be- it's going to be too. Pe- pe- people who have never been residents might not understand this, but when you're a resident of Utah, you are only allowed to put in for one limited entry. You have to choose between deer, elk, or antelope. And then one once in a lifetime. So you also have to choose between like a bison, bison a moose, moose, the sheep, or a goat. And so the irony of that is me now, a non-resident of Utah, if all things equal, if two guys started at the same time, I will draw and hunt all seven of those tags faster than you ever will mm-hmm. as a resident. Mm-hmm. I yeah, will. Yeah. Because I'm building, I'm building points, you know, in 20 everything. years from now, I'll have 20 points for all of them, and I could draw every one of them, and you'll just be getting started on your next well, once-in-a-lifetime. Where it's else crazy. in the West is there a general <clears throat> deer hunt that a non-resident has just as good odds as a yeah. resident does? I'm a resident, and Mark and I put in for the same deer hunt every year, and we have the same odds. Yeah. yeah. That's nowhere else in the West. So, yeah. So, anyway. so my strategy now is I, I look for opportunities that I – I want to hunt. I want to hunt mule deer. 2017 was the first time since 1994 I did not hunt mule deer. I, I didn't even get second choice. I didn't Just even get reminder, second choice tags. Full curl society. Did you buy any of those auction tags last night, Mark? No, none of them. Yeah, didn't you hear? I did. Yeah, I bought the Antelope Island tag. I only spent two ninety on it. <laughs> yeah, I cashed in my retirement, my house, and put my kids to work so I could get one. Did you hear about that big bank robbery across the street this morning? <laughs> so we're all going sheep hunting. So do do you guys do you, do you have do you split it into years? Like, is it, are you that technical? Like, okay, I have this this state and this hunt that I know I can draw every year or so. Yeah, this and then this is my you know mid range like. We, we do this with elk quite a bit, and I'm just curious if you guys do this with mule deer. And- yeah, I, that's why I didn't. When that, you know, you'd think I'd be just heart, you know, the muley slayer doesn't have a mule deer tag. Well, it bummed me out, but I just went elk hunting with my buddies. You know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to set this one out. I'm going to ride the pine this year on mule deer. Build points. But, hey, I know for a fact I'm going to have a Colorado tag that's awesome. That I can break out my Weatherby heater on, go <laughs> mow one down with that. I know I'm going to get that tag. I mean, I say I know, but I'm pretty sure I know. Mm-hmm. It's a zero to one point tag, and I got one point. And I, what sucks is I didn't get a second choice tag in Colorado last year, but I'm okay with that because I know this year I got. And then in Utah, I think uh, you know I'm trying something different this year, and I had to bank a point to try to shot at that. And um, you know I might I might not draw it, but I think I'm going to draw that. So Utah is a shoe in. Now I will tell you this, I will tell you this for an absolute fact. Right now today, I'm making this statement: if I don't draw a mule deer tag. This year, I will be going to Idaho in September with my bow and arrow, and I will be going mule deer hunting for sure, no doubt. I promise you that because I'm okay, not going to. I'm writing it down, buddy. Uh, and and no I'm going to go with Robbie. mule deer season. <laughs> so, That's right. We're so going. Me and Robbie are going. Can't so. miss mule deer season. Hey, we how might that be dead be? tomorrow. 
What's Mark that? and I are a package deal, so if that happens, I'm yeah. coming. Me and, Robbie, me and Robbie are going on a mule deer hunt in September with our bows. How fun would that be? I'd love it. Mark, Mark needs a packer too, Corey, so That's I'm sure he'll the, bring you, bro. I can I can figure that Sean's out. Sean's like, I want to go. Sean's coming. Can you bring that PSC in our camp? What did you say you shoot at? Athens or Athens, something? yeah. They were rock slide sponsors. Original so man. Original man right there. Conviction. So, that's I, I bank on things. I, I try to always have a backup plan that's a shoe in and I'm building points for a better a better, you know, and a then better what, time. And then I've I've built some points with you guys over there in our in our wilderness area too. So what about like the, a long do you have like a long term like I mean are you a you know, are you building points for the strip in Arizona or something like that. That's no, I think I've got like three Arizona points. I forget or don't mess around with. <laughs> I'm not... the laziest application dude you'll ever meet in your life, man. I don't have one point for any animal in the state of Wyoming. <laughs> Can you believe that? Not Crazy. one. And because uh, I'm, I'm just lazy, man. I just I like what I like. I'm. So I don't know. Definitely more of an opportunist and. You know, you you would rather be drawn tag every one or two years than yeah. Scroll yeah. through my feed, man. Look at the bucks I shoot. That should tell you about my tag strategy right there. It's working, it's Robbie. Working. What what about you? I mean, how do you approach your application seasons? Well, I agree with everything that Mark said. Um, we we approach it differently. I um, I look at I look at units as kind of what I call the big picture research. And this is where I see a lot of non-residents get stuck. And, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm speaking from a non-resident standpoint because, you know, I live in Idaho, but I've hunt, hunted a lot of the western states around us and, you know, Montana, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, Wyoming. So I, I've, I've had to be a non-resident. And, and the problem with just focusing on, on units is, is, is then you put all your energy into getting that tag. And, and, and it just does something in your mind. Boy, once I got that tag game over i just need to go kill one and i just learned over the last 20 years that that you got to think beyond that so once you get the tag then you got to move into the small picture and that's where a lot of guys fail and that's you know figuring out you know ridges basins drainages you know where to hunt it within the unit and so i just wanted to put that out there before i go into this that and i think it's agreeing with mark from a different angle that the tag isn't that as important as your ability to logistically yep. hunt the unit. And I know, uh, Mark, because I'm his Instagram stalker, that Mark's not afraid to go keep hunting the same place that he can keep getting a tag, even if it's not an ideal tag. Um, I, I know your trials on the Wasatch, lots of hunters, and but Mark just kept going back because he knows the unit, sounded like he had some connections here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what makes you efficient. That's, that really is what makes you efficient is do, do you being think able that, to handle the logistics. Do you think that hunters nowadays, you know, hunting multiple states throughout the West has become popular? Do you think that we romanticize yep. that, that idea of, that's what I'm you know, oh, Wyoming bucks yep. or yep. Idaho, you know, whatever yep. it is. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's yeah. why I wanted to put that out first that, I mean, don't get me wrong. You can't hunt crappy spots. You can't do that. But your application strategy to me has to be like a like like a portfolio for retirement, and y- y- it's going to have to be pretty diverse. And so the way I do it, I can just tell you what I do. I have. Y- you asked if I have a ten-year plan. Well, sorta, but it's not like, hey, in ten years I'm going to hunt the Arizona Strip because some of that stuff's unpredictable. Yeah. Like fifteen years ago, we didn't know the Arizona Strip was going to become a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity when uh, a little more than 15 years ago in 99 when Arizona um, uh, went to the uh, bonus point system you know nobody could predict what was going to happen and then now here we are it's 
it's pretty much at best a once in a lifetime hunt. So that's why I have a little bit of a problem saying, oh yeah, in 10 years I'm gonna hunt this or I'm gonna hunt that. But this is what I'm planning for 10 years. I take the states that are further away from me that are a little hard logistically for me to get to and, 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 and not just the hunt. I'm a big scouter. I hate going anywhere that I haven't been there before, either the year before on a, on a, on a hunt or, or, you know, preseason scouting. And so I try to put the opportunities that are further away from me into my point category. I want to draw points for those states. I, maybe not a particular unit, but just ha- kind of have that in the bank. And then, like Mark does, I try to take advantage of, of all the either over-the-counter uh, um, or low-point units that are closer to me. So, like, the best typical buck I've killed in the last five years was in Colorado, a 191 buck on a zero-point muzzleloader tag. But you heard in the jalapeno story, I went back there three years in a row because yeah. I, I, I knew it had potential, um, um, and, and I didn't want to just give up on it and go chase up some other phantom in some other <clears throat> unit. This feels like a wasted uh, – it feels like you're wasting a resource or uh, – um, what am I trying to say? When you go and you draw something new and you go see a new place and you kind of halfway like it, mm-hmm. you almost can't give up onto it till you have success exactly. there. And it's like, it's like don't oh. – we talk about that. Don't, don't go hunt in the lava rocks if the bucks aren't in the lava rocks. Like mm-hmm. I told this story, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I want to kill bucks in the lava rocks. <laughs> we kept hunting the lava rocks every day. There's not even a flipping deer on the lava rocks, but how awesome would it look to kill a buck up on the lava rocks? A good it's a black mountain. We're going to look awesome with our picture and our buck. Just drag one over there. There's not a buck on the lava rocks. But, but you drive past five bucks coming in here every day that are yeah. in the 160s. Go shoot the bucks where they're at. But And Corey and I had a deep discussion on the mountain. And I, I think I looked at you and said, you know what? i got to change. Because I'm coming to a place that I elk hunt. It's my elk hunting spot. And I've killed bull after bull after bull after bull in this spot. And I keep trying to relive old hunts. It seems like I'm trying to relive a memory. Like, I, I come here. This is my spot. This is where I've always killed them. But then I'll think back. Yeah, but when I killed a bull here, I was doing something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I killed a bull here on a day I was doing something different. And then about a quarter mile from here, I killed a bull. And I did something different. So say you've been hunting that spot for 10 years, and you start making this little quarter-mile circle, you need to get your head out of your butt because really what you're doing <laughs> is you're just sitting and spinning, and you're trying to relive old memories. And I did that for 15 days, didn't I? And yeah, I kind of confessed did it, it. for about 11. Yeah. Of the we, last four, we I we mean, booked it, dude. Yeah, we did some different stuff. We blazed. We got into, we got into we elk. Got into we more just, elk. Yeah, they just we weren't talking. But yeah. anyway, that kibiyak off what you were saying yeah. is is you hunted that three years, then you got one, mm-hmm. but you just didn't want to give up on that I spot. Didn't because I was, kept seeing good bucks, and it, and logistically it was actually hard to get there. Six hundred miles from my house, and you know you lose two days in travel, and it was right in the middle of archery season in Idaho. And sure enough, it was the years I found those that big buck, and and so I guess what I'm saying is I I try not to get too enamored with the unit numbers. I build points in a, in a variety of the states, but on average, I'm hunting an over-the-counter tag or a zero to a two-point unit in some state around me every year, and I see big bucks and every year and usually kill at least a nice one. And so I think your tag strategy has to has to reflect that. There's some really good um, uh, research, research services out there. I'm using Go Hunt right now, but there's Epic Hunts, there's Hunt and Fool. Those are great, I, and I think if you're a non-resident hunter, you 
critical. You, you should join those, but it's still just going to give you the big picture. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you the units. It's going to give you a little bit about what to expect. You need all that, but you got to get beyond that. And sometimes I'll look at those unit tables, and, and the only thing they tell me is, I don't want to apply there because that's getting too much press. That's going to bring the best deer hunters of the West into that unit. And um, I'd rather find a big buck on some average unit because it never fails. After opening day, everybody's down in the mouth and there ain't no big bucks. They all got killed, da 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 and 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 people aren't putting forth the effort effort. But you go you go draw a Wyoming region G tag right now, which just went to six non resident points last year, you're not gonna waste those points because it may be the last time you ever get to hunt it you're going to throw everything you got at it and i'm not saying not to go hunt those units i chase some of those units but i don't just sit home and wait for that to happen that's like future type stuff i'll get the points if i if i draw a unit like that great i'll jump in but right now as mark was talking i was thinking yeah all my hunts this year are kind of planned and pretty much low point over the counter tag units because at least i can plan How i mean often? i was putting for the ponce got when i was 22 years old and i still haven't drawn it how often, and that's what I was going to get at, how often do you um, actually accumulate more points for a hunt than you needed to draw that? I'm curious. That's are, a, are there quite a I've few? I've done it, yeah. 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 And, and that's, that's, I think, the romanticizing a little bit and the, and the mistake that we make nowadays with the point game is we just think that, well, I have this hunt takes seven points. I've built up my seven points. I don't give a crap. I'm going this year. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't. Yep. You know, you you feel like yep. you almost feel like you're you're screwing yourself if you wait ten points yep. to draw a seven point unit. And I'm curious, and I think that's a key thing right there. Is you're you're what you're saying is you're waiting for the the right time, the right opportune yeah. time when you know that you're going to max out that hunt and yep. that, opportunity that opportunity because it, it doesn't matter seven or ten points if you go and blow it it doesn't matter it, it's done you're it, done yeah, it you may matter. never go back there again in your life especially some of these you know some of these states elk we're, we're talking mule deer but elk where you've got a seven ten year waiting period once you mm-hmm. kill i mean it's crazy mm-hmm. you know yeah yep, but there's places in the west you can go kill 300 inch plus bulls on otc units if you learn them and you just don't give up and don't get down in the mouth about it and it's the same with mule deer and so it's like i i think we're on the same page here yeah. i'm just i just try to stay really diverse with it I, i've got over 40 mule deer points in various western states i don't know when i'm going to spend them but on average every year i'm hunting some <clears throat> lower opportunity uh, kind of deal. And that's what I mean about being diverse. And somebody that's sitting in, uh, you know, Florida right now that come, wants to come and hunt the West, I, I don't see how it would be any different for them. Because even if they're building points, even if they have 100 points, if they're not hunting mule deer every year, or almost every year, um, they're, they're not gaining the skills that they need. And it doesn't matter if you get a Henry Mountains tag. You're, you're going to be a stranger in a strange land. And you're going you're to show up at that big mountain. I mean, that's scary, and that's high, and that's ro- yeah. rocky. And, uh, you know, you're not going to know what you're doing. Where if you've been hunting so every year, you're going to be more comfortable in your skin for yeah. it. So that's how, that's how I try to plan my hunts out. And it's the main reason I only hunt mule deer. I mean, I forgive Mark for hunting elk. I'm glad when he takes a, a year off because gives the rest of us a better chance to get a mule deer. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, that, got... for me personally, I just don't have the time to, to, to do a good job elk hunting. I love elk hunting, man. I mean, it's, I did that for years. It's, it's awesome. Nothing bigger than a big old bull coming in, swinging those antlers and bugling. It's awesome, but that's going to have to be later on in my life. Right now, for the, for the time I have, I, I want to be in places where I can be efficient 
It's not about the unit number. It's about how much time can I spend there and be efficient and know where to be at daylight. Mark, you talked about that in your seminar yesterday. You're watching these flashlights come up uh, the Wasatch Front in the morning, and you're already on the top. You're right where you need yeah. to be. And as you as you know, sometimes you got 20 minutes, and then when the sun's up, the hunt's over. Yep. Yeah, it's, look, tw it's 24 more hours before those bucks are out. Look at Nevada, you know, where we go. If, if we had based that off of year one or even year three or two or whatever, we would have we would have given up and said, yeah, there's there's a few bucks in there. They're just impossible to kill. Yeah, yep. we, then we, you're on we to the next mountain. We would have, and and but we stuck it out. We've gone back. We we cashed in that experience from the last two or three four years that we went. And finally, after I've hunted it for four tags now, I finally knocked down a respectable what I was after going in there. Yeah, but it, nice it took, buck, man. It took four years, and I'm afraid that myself years ago or a lot of guys are are are. They're walking away from that hunt yep. after three, yep. or maybe they're not even getting or to three. Or even three days. One. Yeah, right. three days. <laughs> they're on another mountain. Yeah. Because it's, it's human nature. The grass is always greener. Yeah. And you read the magazines, you know, you read the hunt tables and the research services. It, it, you use the word it's romanticized. It's exactly right. You, you kind of start thinking, oh, if I can just get Blue there, chip. I'm going to kill one. Well, you show up there, and, you know, like Mark said, he gets diarrhea a lot because he drinks bad water and he does the iodine pills, and then you're tired and something happens at home, you know, like, oh, Oh, and it, it eats on you, and, and you've only got so much time that you can do a good job on something. And so that's all I mean about you got to be efficient. You got yeah. it. You got to know your stuff. Mule deer hunting is harder than ever, if you ask me. And 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 when I was jumping around, even when mule deer was pretty good, I didn't do as well as when I when I just stuck to it. Um, and 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 a good rule of thumb for me, you know, when I give up on an area. When I quit seeing big bucks in it, that's yep. when I give up on an area. And I don't mean just a morning, oh, I didn't see one, I'm moving on, because that's what I used to do. But it's like, hey, you know, I've been here a season. I put in a good effort here, a good scouting this summer. You know, nothing on the trail cameras. I've been here at prime daylight, you know, two or three mornings. I'm just not seeing them. Then I will move on. I'm not saying continue to beat a dead horse. You know, sometimes you got to move on. Yeah, you just got to watch for trends. If you start seeing a trend in decline, and, and uh, there's an old guy. <laughs> this is terror. This guy. I, I was ready to give up on a spot in Colorado. I thought deer just stopped coming back in there. And this is a rough old guy, man. And he just say whatever was on his mind, right? And he knew where I was hunting. And so I called him up one day and I said, uh, I said, hey, man, I said, think about going on. He goes, oh, that's a good spot you're hunting over there. I don't know why you want to give up on it. I said, well, <laughs> man, the last two or three years, I just haven't been seeing the deer. And uh, I'm afraid they're going to quit coming in there. And he's like, oh, man, it Buck's been coming in there since they before they hammered Jesus to a cross. Just go back in there. And I was like, Ow. okay. Okay, man. The next year I killed like a really nice buck up there. Yeah. He, he was yeah. right, man. I mean, that, that right. choice of words was not, probably not desirable. It's just the kind of guy he was. But what he meant was, man, since dinosaurs were roaming, yeah. big bucks have been coming to that same basin. You might have had a bad year or two, whatever, but don't give up on the spot because if a mule deer, if you, the thing is, what I've learned is, in Colorado especially, if if you've seen a big mature buck in a basin, more times than not over a course of a hunting career, you'll see a mature buck in that basin yep. again. And it you might be a, you might one year you might see a herd of bucks. One year you might just see a few bucks and one big one. But if if it's if it's got if it's got unless some natural something natural happens and sometimes something natural happens as a big cat moves in. If a big cat moves into a small box canyon that, that'll make a change in your deer herd. That's about the only thing that I know of from June until hunting season that can mess up a high country spot that's got a big buck in it that you want. The only thing I think that could mess that up is if a cat moves into it. 
you know, or they decide to build a ski resort there or something. Fire. <laughs> I've, but, seen, uh, I've fire. seen fire chase them out, Yeah, too. fire. Yeah, fire. Fire and cats are, yeah. are the two big ones. Yeah. But but, but I got your point. Something Stick with else. it until Stick you're not seeing it. Yeah. But if you're not, you can't just bang your head and not be – if and for sure on your hunt, if in your time frame of five, six, seven days, give it a shot. First couple, three days, and it's a fine line there. Do I? If there's a particular buck I know is in here, I want. Yeah. Do you just go without until the last day, yep. last light, and try? Or if you're like, hey, I need to fill my tag, I want to shoot a nice four point buck. If I'm not seeing deer on by third day, I'll move on. That's kind of my deal. I'll just go over the ridge. I'll just start. Then I'll just start backpacking and just looking for deer and then just go shoot one. Yeah. But if I've got one staked out, like my biggest buck, my 186 buck, that's one of the only deer I've ever hunted specifically. And said, no, I'm just not going to shoot anything else. Yeah. I'm going to shoot that buck. And it took me, I went on a three-day weekend and then a seven-day week. And on the seventh day of the last day of the last time I shot wow. him. And wow. that was when I learned that, hey, that is kind of work. You know, it does, it takes a lot of faith. You know, mm -hmm. it, it takes does, a lot man. of faith to go, I've seen this wild buck on this mountain and I'm going to stay here until I kill it. And masters at that for Utah, for me, is like uh, like Matt Bateman and, and you know, what's uh, Kip. Man, yeah, those, Kip guys, those guys will see bucks, and they just have the faith that yep. they're going to kill those. And they do kill and those they do. bucks. They kill a lot of them. And it's great. And you do that. I am not at that level. I think just because I just my comfort level is shooting deer, just shooting bucks that I like. But. Dude, because you're, you're a I killer, see, Mark. If I see, it started with that turtle, dude. If that I shot. see a buck like that, though, I think the I think I'm mature enough in my patience level to, to go. Yeah, all you or can nothing. do both. I can that's do both. Great. And that's yeah. why Mark's killed ten times the archery bucks that I have. Because I'm usually in the last at least last dozen years, I have not hunted an archery buck that wasn't pre-scouted within the previous month, and then I just camped on them. I just stayed on them. That's that's the difference between Mark and I, and that's why he, he fills a lot more tags. And for those of you that don't know, Mark's first big game animal was a soft-shell turtle. And so, uh, and like, I'm not kidding you when I say we we Is that we big keep, game? Well, it was <laughs> to him. game is big game with a bow, man. That's right. That's right. That's Fair why enough. I said we keep that stuff as pet, and Mark, Mark eats them. I, I killed three Boone and Crockett grouse one day this year, don't you know? <laughs> See what I mean? I was there. I you ate those there. grouse. You ate those grouse. You ate those grouse. He, he, I walk up. He goes, ah, you shot yourself a grouse. I turn around and said, no, I shot myself a limit of grouse. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, was a you shot day. a limit. He goes, See, he's a killer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> So Look, I've got one for yeah. Robbie. It's probably tough for you, Mark, because you're down in Texas. But how how often, Robbie, will you scout an area before you apply it, apply for it in oh, a unit? Oh, that's a good question, dude. And, and you know, like it, so I kind of got to divide that out onto what I've got invested in it. And so uh, if it's a state that has a lot of points, I'll just take a Utah hunt I had a couple of years ago. Um, I, I've been accumulating points in Utah, trying to draw tags here for years, chasing the high point units like everybody else, and they're just outrunning me. I mean, I, when, when I first started putting in for the Ponsagant in the 90s, you know, it was a five-point unit. And now I'm sitting at 17 points, and it's a 21-point unit. It just it seems to stay ahead of you about the number of points that you're behind. Right. It. That doesn't change. And so a couple of years ago, I thought, you know, this is going nowhere. I'm not going to catch these 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 high-profile units, and, and I don't need to for what I just told you sooner. There's a big bucks in other units. It's just... You know, those those are, um, you know, kind of definable. You know where to hunt, you know, all that other stuff. And so um, I jumped ship, started applying for lower tag units and um, uh, drew a muzzleloader hunt in Utah. And you apply in what, March? And uh, I went down then in January before the application just just to take a look at the bucks and, you know, make sure there was shooters there. You know, if you're not seeing shooters on the winter range, probably not going to see them on the summer range. 
and there, there was enough 180 bucks there, which is, you know, the kind of my lower, lower end of what I like to shoot. Um, so I put in for it. And then uh, it was a migration hunt. I couldn't, couldn't scout it until it snowed. Right. And it uh, ended up not snowing. I ended up turning the tag back the evening of the day before it started. But to answer your question, when I have 17 points invested in a unit, I am scouting it before I even apply for it. I sure. want to make sure the bucks are there. Now, if it's an over-the-counter tag or a zero-point, one-point unit, something like that, my first, I, I may be comfortable in applying for that without having done more than just buddy scouting and talking to people. Um, do I wait on that? That's all right. I'm, I may I, I may apply for it because I'm not risking much, right? Right, right. Not risking 17 years of points on yep. it. And so it really depends on, on the unit. But the older I get, the more mule deer country I get, um, I end up back in f at least familiar areas. Because, you know, I got enough of them now. I right, kind of make the right. routine in the summer. I'll check here, check here, check there. Um, I do try to learn a little bit of new deer country a year. Some years I don't do it, you know, because you can get real distracted chasing phantoms. But... Uh, Hopefully, hopefully that answers your question. Absolutely. Usually in the winter range, so January. Winter range. Is when winter you range find is a time. good time. I mean, right some places it's not season. because it just depends on how far away the deer are coming from. Right. You know, it, it just depends. I know this. This is this is what I want to get across to people. And and I, we talked about that a minute ago. Don't just get enamored with the unit number. You need to get down there and you need to see some deer. You need to get familiar with it. Um, I got a friend, Les Welch. He works, he's one of our writers for Rock Slide. He will jump in an airplane. He lives in Wisconsin and fly out for just a weekend and rent a little car and just drive around and just look at it, meet some people, talk to some people. And, and you hear me use this phrase you're a stranger in a strange land when you show up to these units, no matter how good they are. And, um, um, no. and, and, and just visiting them a little bit preseason, even if you're not getting eyeballs on the bucks, it just, it's just going to help you. When 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 that third day comes and you haven't seen what you're looking for, you're like, no, I've I've talked to people who've seen bucks here, or I've seen bucks here. It just keeps you encouraged. And so, the the older I get, the more I scout and the less I hunt. That, that, that's kind of what I'm learning. I I hate going places I haven't got some good intel on, or I haven't haven't been there there Stresses before. Stresses me out, man. It does. This dude. is so stressful you're to go somewhere over. new. I, I don't. I, I'd rather just do something else. Yep. Doesn't that sound, yeah. that sound sacrilegious to ninety percent of this room? But it, it does, Mark. man. To say, Mark, I want you to go to a new area. I guess maybe because how much I've hunted. Mm -hmm. I, why? I I know where to go hunt. Yeah, why would right. I go? And I go, and it's just like, well, like I drew that book clips tag in uh, 08. That was one of those. Well, I drew it at the same time I had a sheep tag. Yeah. And it just, man, that was terrible. But I was stressed to the max the entire time I was there. Yeah, no You ever fun. been to the Book Cliffs? I was by myself. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a terrible place on this planet to be by yourself, to be honest with you. Yeah, You're a billion miles from nowhere, <laughs> and you don't just happen to sh – you don't just happen by the Book Cliffs. You're there, man. Like, yep. you have to literally go there. And I went there, and I had a tent, and uh, I saw bears at every turn of the road, and it's like, man, there's bears everywhere. I'm by myself. And Do and, you, uh, do you I, feel like part of that was the – the expectations of the unit, you know, a lot invested of, in it. There were deer everywhere. That made it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> there were bucks everywhere. There just weren't big bucks everywhere, and that's what I expected. I expected to show up there and road hunt. That's what I expected to do from what I'd read and researched. I'm going to go road hunt the book cliffs, and my minimum is a 160. And so I'm going to put up. I'm going to step out of my truck, step 10 yards off the road. I'm going to draw back my Hoyt. I'm going to shoot 160-inch four-point. I'm going to put it in the back of the truck. I'm going to go back to Colorado, and I'm going to go back sheep. to sheep hunting. That's what I thought was going to happen. 
I passed up 41. Sounds like in, me in New Mexico. In, right, right. Inside, four, when I say I passed, I mean I legitimately could have harvested these bucks. Inside, 40 yards, 41, four by four bucks in two and a half days. <laughs> and they all scored max 120. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I'm not a score guy, but those are two-year-old bucks. Mm-hmm. There's a cookie-cutter machine. The father has a cookie-cutter machine over there on the book cliffs. He's stamping out four yeah. points like this. <laughs> it's a mule deer factory. And they're all two-year-old two four points. And, I, and so I'm like, golly, man, I, I know I'm going to kill a deer. Oh, I even got my recurve out. I emptied my quiver two or three times at little four points. <laughs> Didn't get one. I threw that back in the truck. I did that one morning. I emptied my quiver twice one morning. And I was like, okay, well, wow. I'm not going to do that. So I threw that in the back of the truck. I'm going to get my compound out. And I went putting around. And I, on the day three, remember yesterday in my seminar I talked about, have you ever missed a big buck then you felt like you had to kill one just to make yep. sure you could yeah, still kill one? Yeah, a revenge one? buck. Yeah, I killed a revenge <laughs> buck. I killed a management revenge buck on the book cliff. That's right. So I drive, I drive down this two. I knew where this one two-track road was I'd found one day. And I was like, man, if nothing else, I'm going to hit that road at daylight one morning because it drops off this bench and loops for a little ways in all this oak brush and it right at the edge of some sage. I'm thinking, and I saw a deer go over that. I'm like, man, I bet right at daylight I can catch some deer going to those quakies. Sure enough, man, I go putting down this road right at daylight and out stepped a nice 160 frame four point with trash on both sides. Nice buck, man. And I was like, oh, there's my buck. And I got out, my rangefinder just would not pick him up. And it was right at daylight, so it was still dark, and I tried to judge the yardage, but there was stuff between me and him. And I'm like, man, I don't know. Shot, shot low. Missed him. He went over the hill. And I was like, oh, man, that was my book cliffs, mountable, beautiful. That was my book cliffs buck. I just ruined it. I was like, Dad, blame it. Well, there is a chronic three-point gene on the book cliffs, too. So you got this chronic two-year-old four-point gene, which it's not it's a good thing to have. Because right. they'll all grow up to be big four-points. But there are a lot of forked-in-the-back three-points on the book cliffs. So I was like, you know what? The first forked-in-the-back three-point I see outside his ears, I'm going to shoot him, take him home, and get back to sheep hunting. As soon as I made the thought in my mind that's going to happen, I made a bend in the road, and there was two four-points and a fork in the back, three-point, 24 inches wide standing out there. Took him out. And I got out, belly crawled through the sage, got 61 yards from him, raised up. Mark Smith. I shot him right in the heart, and he just (laughs) bucked up and kind of flipped over dead right there. Went over, was real super glad, and shot him and came home. And I had talked that hunt up so much. That was the first time my wife ever has ever said anything about hunting that hurt my feelings but i get home she goes dude that's your that's a book cliff spot that's your oh no she calls him she loves randy ulmer she just he's been a great friend for so long that she just she thinks he's kind of like the standard of what hunting men should be you know sure. and she's like yeah, then she, I knew I was going to book class because of Randy Ulmer. She goes, that's your Randy Ulmer buck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, like, when your wife makes fun of your bucks, yeah, it's, that one it's, t- it's a kick in the yeah, gut. Yeah, it is bad. You can say anything about anything, but if my wife, it just cuts me to the quick. So uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. But, but it's a good story. But there's something else I want to tell you about sticking to an area. Can I tell this yeah, story? Yeah, go for it. Can I tell this story? I'm enjoying it. Okay. That's distracted me. So I can't even take you serious right now. So because of the mustache or no the bottle the bottle the, the bottle and Sucking the mustache together. Yeah. So anyway, a buck that we wanted to kill, Duggar's biggest buck. Do you know that story? I've seen the buck. I think. Yeah, he's a monster, right? That thing's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, it, it, uh, as, a, as a clean as a clean four point, he grows two sixteen and netted two hundred four oh, as yeah. a clean four by four right, buck. Yeah. 
that's the biggest buck I've personally ever seen hit the dirt. Well, here's the thing: we found that buck in nineteen or in uh, two thousand nine. We all had Navajo deer tags in the New Mexico side. So we, uh, for some reason, there was an explosion of mature deer in our unit that we liked to bow hunt on the Navajo that year. I'm talking four mature bucks running together. One was called H Buck. One was called uh, Stan for a standard four by four. H Buck. Uh, Duggar named Duggar, Duggar started calling him the homo buck, but then uh, his dad said, "Hey, let's call him the H buck because when was they he first doing saw homo him, things? he was he was on, he, he, was, was, he, was, he was mounting one of the other mature bucks. Dominance. But those bucks will do that to try to get other bucks if he's wanting yeah. to leave. Like we pulled up on him the truck, uh-huh. and the buck's like, "Hey, you need to go." The buck in the back smart enough to know it's time to go, and the buck other buck standing there looking, and he goes, "Hey, we need." He reared up on him, right? And Duggar yeah, kind of, oh. <laughs> and so they called him the H-Buck. So he had the H-Buck, Stan Buck, X-Buck, and um, BB for big brows. And that's what Duggar's buck's name is, BB. I think he's got like a seven and a half, eight-inch brow tine on one side. It's curved. And he had the other one's pretty good. So that's BB Buck. So uh, he, Duggar, once he saw that deer, he said, "That's I want that deer. There was another buck called Wide Load. It was just a 29-inch young three-by-three. And uh, so everybody kind of had dibs. Larry had dibs on X buck. Duggar had one buck. And I think Pops wanted to kill the H buck. And so, uh, you know, uh, Nick Munt from Bone Collector, he killed Stan later. Oh, really? On TV. Yeah. We, when we kill that buck, Duggar sends me a picture. He goes, look, Nick Munt, because he, he's hunting with the Navajos right now because they're big, they're big advocates of that of that youth hunt on the Navajo and they sure. film that and put it on TV every year. Well, Nick Munt killed Stan. He don't even know we have tons of time with that buck, you know, <laughs> and he killed it later. So, um, the next, the, so Duggar wanted to kill that buck in 2009 bad. I ended up shooting wide load. Nobody killed any of the other bucks except Stan. Uh, Larry, that's the year Larry killed the 208 double dropper. Oh yeah. So yeah, they, yeah. we killed that that same year. So then the next year, Jeremy goes, you know what? I'm gonna kill that. I'm gonna kill BB, that big brow time butt. I'm gonna show you boys how to do it. I'm gonna give me a rifle tag. And we're all like, no, man, we only bow hunt the Navajo. He goes, no, I'm gonna kill it. Well, Glenn Fuller runs East Main Trade Center that his store's attached to. Yep. Glenn's a big muzzle loader hunter. So in two here's the great thing about don't give up on an area. We saw we first saw BB in 2009. Everybody wanted to kill him. Nobody ever they missed him like several. I never got a shot at him. I can say that. I didn't get a shot at him. <laughs> everybody missed else him. missed him. And so uh, Duggar got the rifle tag, and I came back in 2010. And Duggar got the rifle tag. I got the bow tag. Larry got the bow tag. Glenn Fuller got the muzzleloader tag. I hunted that deer. For Duggar went down there, scouted him all summer, saw him, rolls up the night before season. Here's the key part of this whole story. The night before the opener of the archery 2010 season, Duggar films him at 40 yards, and he's popped well over 200 inches. And Duggar's got him on video in Oakbrush. Beautiful footage. The next morning, he takes me straight back there. That's how humble Duggar is, though. I want you to, I'm going to take you down there. And inside him, he's going, please, Lord, don't let don't that let buck get the ride because Mark is going <laughs> to kill him. Because he's got a rifle tag, right? He's got a rifle yeah, so tag. He can't and, and he's gonna, but he's not going to selfishly keep me from doing it. But I, he's told me flat out, man, you don't know how hard I was praying that buck wasn't by the road with you that bow because I knew you'd kill it. I was like, yeah, I knew I'd kill it too, man. So we go down there, and we don't see him. So then we come down the road, and my wife was with us. It was me and Hank and my wife and Jeremy. We're in the Toyota. We're going down these logging roads that night. And there's this nice, nice cheater buck standing by the road. And I get out, and I work my way up through the bushes, and I hit a limb. 
I shot at him, 54 yards, and I had to shoot, and as a pine bow caught my arrow, exploded it. So then I go up the hill, just kind of going the way the buck went, and that's when I ran into that 29-inch 3x2, 5-year-old 3x2. I shot him. Wide load. 97 yards, killed him. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. So my wife and me and Duggar, we're all packing this buck out. Later, Glenn kills that buck. I kill with a muzzle. He killed with a muzzleloader. It was 167. No, that cheater buck that I missed. Oh, gotcha. Glenn Fuller kills that with a muzzleloader. That's a 167 buck. It was a nice buck. So archery season goes by. We never see BB again. Muzzleloader season comes. Chad and Glenn. Chad is Glenn's cousin. They both have the two muzzleloader, non-resident muzzleloader tags on that unit. They hunt the nine-day unit. Never see BB. That season over, nothing for two or three weeks. Then the end of October, we go in there looking. It's like the third day of season. We go exactly back to where he saw him the day before muzzleloader season, and we're going down the road. And I said, look, up in the, on the side of the hill, and I said, hey, there's some does over there. So we stopped. We, got, we had to hike a little ways to get up in there. And Duggar's on his shooting sticks, and I'm glassing. And, and he goes, hey, hey, I got a buck right here. And so I put my glasses up on it, and all I can see is this one. I can see the buck's white face, his body, and this one gigantic fork. That looked like it was a mile from his eyeballs, right? <laughs> so here's this fork, and here's his eyes over here. And Duggar's like, I don't know if that's him. And I'm looking at that fork, and I said, man, it's got to be him. He goes, I don't know if that's him. He goes, but I don't know. I said, I don't know if it's him or not, but that is a freaking giant, dude. <laughs> it's, I'm like, hey, man, his, his, his back fork is two feet from his eyeballs. He goes, yeah, true, huh, true, huh. He goes, I'm going to pound him, dude. And I said, pound him. That's a big buck. And then the does are starting to get restless, and it's up the hill, 150 yards. Boom, that 257 Weatherby goes off, and that buck, man. So Duggar looks back at me, and he goes, do you think I got him? I'm like, shut up, man. He's the only deer that ran. Uh -huh. I said, what are you talking about? Did you get him? He goes, do you think I hit him? I said, all the other deer are still standing there. He's gone. He's not going to go anywhere. Those does aren't going right. to go. Yeah. He's like, yeah, 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 you're right. We walk up there, and there's this blood trail, and we go around this lava rock, these black lava rocks in this pinion tree, dude. And it was like the most glorious moment of hunting Love of my it, life because there lays BB. It was him. And Duggar, right. Duggar is one of the most humble, good dudes you're ever going to meet. And, man, his eyes get puffy and red. And, man, the dam breaks loose. And yeah. we have this moment on the mountain. And, and and what's cool, man, is Percy Gale, these old Navajo dudes, he, he he was coming down the road, saw Duggar's truck, and he sees us walking up to the buck. Well, him and another guy walks up there, and in his old Navajo voice, man, Percy Gale goes, no, that's a buck. <laughs> and so when a Navajo guy says that, yeah, you got yourself a good and one, that right? That was the 216 buck? That was the 216 yes, buck. That's and what that, BB here's scored. The deal. Wow. That buck was there the night before archery, and he somehow eluded the road to just stay out of the way until maybe the first doe started smelling kind of decent, you yep. know, towards the end of October. Because he was in, he was, there were seven does on this hillside, and BB was right there right with in the middle man. of them. And that one buck he shot, that was a big buck. And. He, you know, either way, he was going to end up with a grand prize, but he got what he wanted. Awesome. But sticking with the area. Just, sticking with yeah, the area. That buck was gone giving for up seven weeks. Don't give, and I've used that experience so many times that don't give up on the buck because just because you're not seeing him doesn't mean doesn't he's there. Doesn't mean he's not that there. That means he's an eight, nine, ten-year-old mule deer yep. buck, and he knows he's how not hiding. to get a uh, hundred grain Barnes X through his yep. unit at 3,800 feet per second, right? That's right. I think it was in uh, David Long's uh, mule deer book, and he was – talking about the radio collar study mm -hmm. and he you know the, it was just interesting to see that it was it was a very very low percentage of the time that a buck would actually leave 
the country, the country that he's that he's calls home. Yep. You know, even throughout hunting season, I mean, he had to be pressured extremely, extremely hard. Um, he would maybe go nocturnal, and that's sure. probably what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, leaving the the country that he calls home, yeah, hardly ever. And happened. that's been my experience. And it took me twenty years to get that through my head. And sometimes you still make the wrong mistake. You don't know if a guy was in there the day before you and you know bumped him out and shot him in the leg. You don't know any of that stuff. And that's why Marks always says it's a little bit on faith. Yeah. But I know the old me that used to run from mountain to mountain to mountain to mountain. I just didn't do as well as when I just, if I find one, I stay there until the rut or the snow pushes them out or the season ends. Yeah. And, and I've done a little bit better, but it, you, a lot of them are still going to elude you. You'll, they'll, you'll, they'll, you still won't know what happened to them. With, and that's the draw. Of without them. the season, I mean, obviously, like get a deer getting pushed into winter ground, how far, I mean, how far will you hunt once you've found a buck? Cause you, I mean, you mm-hmm. said yeah. it yourself, yeah. you summer scout. How far away? I mean, what's the furthest you've killed a deer from where you found it? Does it depend on depend on um, the top? Off? You know, dude, that was probably this year that that happened. Um, you always hear me say it's about a square mile. I believe right. until the rut or the or the migration starts, they're going to live within about a square mile. And um, this year in archery season, I scouted a buck in July that was. I thought he was only going to be about a one eighty buck, and we had such a bad winter in Idaho this year. I I, I just kept looking for other bucks and by the time archery season went to open i thought man i that's the best buck i found i went back and looked at him and he had exploded he had gone to about 190 he was a really good deer but when i said i went back and looked 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 at him it took four days to find him and he had moved about a mile and a quarter which is about the most i have seen him move um i didn't end up killing him so if your question was which about ones right. i've killed i did kill one this year and i saw him on november 7th and i passed him because he wasn't that great of a buck the next day of the season was the last day of the season and i ended up killing him roughly about a mile mile and a half from where where he was and he had just followed some does down in there but so they're gonna move i don't want to make it sound like right. oh just keep going right behind that tree where they were no it doesn't work that way either they do move but you know if if you've if you've got good intel on a big buck you've either seen or, or you know is there from previous years someone else has seen him and you trust him and you find yourself on a different mountain on day three you're screwing up i promise you i've right. tried all that crap you're not going to go find another one there's just not enough big bucks now unless it's just a primo primo unit and i still think you're better just to just to stay with them there's a word for that what you were talking about what david said and i can't i can't remember what it is but it's an actual word that describes mule deer and they're uh, out of the uh, the the other ungulates like elk kind of their core, core yeah area. yeah it's something like that i can't remember but it's, it's it's a characteristic that they have and um they they just are more likely to stick to a home area where you know a, a, an elk may move five miles and not come back deer don't typically typically do that unless it's a stupid spot with a bunch of pressure and then there's not usually any big bucks in places like that anyways right how how is kind of switching gears here a little bit how do you feel as social media changed hunting well i got to meet mark smith because of social media so (laughs) us too i think i shocked some people yesterday in a podcast they said hey what is your thoughts on social media these days and hunting i think it's awesome man yeah i wouldn't know you I wouldn't know you, most likely. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't really have you. ever met you, yeah. or you wouldn't have known about my seminar. Yep. Um, do I think the Lord does a, a lot of great work with it? Yes. But is it the devil's playground? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like anything. Anything. And it's just, what are, what do you do with social media? There you go, Mark. And that's why we said yesterday, <laughs> let's start hashtag integrity. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, th- just all this other stuff, man. And 
look, put out something of quality. If you have something negative to say, if you have something negative to say and it rolls off your lips, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. to, to take the time to write something negative mm-hmm. yep. is ridiculous. Yep. It just shows how low of a character you have. That's you know what right. I mean? That's so right. hunting industry is where that fits in. Now, as far as the what you're talking about, I think what you're trying to say is how do you think social media has affected hunting? Uh, I think it's given, you know, we started off, or I started to hit on this, but Robbie, Robbie went into a great discussion. The internet would make you think, I mean, it gives you, social media, Facebook, Instagram, can give you an inferiority complex if you don't have your 200 incher because now you think everybody's gotten one, right? Mm-hmm. No, there's just a few dudes killing 200 inch bucks, mm-hmm. right? There's only really a handful of dudes killing 200 inch bucks, but everybody's sharing everybody's 200 inch bucks. And if you don't take time to read it, you know, there's certain mornings I wake up and I go, man, Zach Griffith and Cameron Haynes killed a 200 inch buck this week. Mm-hmm. No, Zach. Griffith was actually celebrating somebody else's post, which I think is a great thing. Yep. That says a lot about somebody's character. Yep. Hey, I will celebrate somebody else's successes. I don't think as hunters and men we do that enough no. to uplift each other. And, and you do a great job of uplifting me. I, I like to think I do a good job of uplifting you fellas, and I know you do the same for me. That's great. But if you don't know Zach and you don't know Cam and you don't know Robbie and you don't know everybody and you're just flipping through Instagram, you might be like, well, that's the standard. Like, everybody's killing them, you know, and everybody's doing that. But if you read the comments, you can tell it's not. But I think I think there's a false sense of there's – I think there's a false sense that there's more big bucks out in the world yeah, than there really truly are. You bet. You, you sit on your Instagram on October 1st, and you'll think that they're killing 200-inch bucks every day. That's just the – there's thousands of guys on social media. So if there's – if 20 big bucks get posted on there, you know, through September archery season, and you keep seeing those, like Mark said, in these different feeds, you begin to think that everybody's killing them and that you're a, you're a, you're a POS because yeah. you can't kill one. And it's not. It's not that way. So I like the way you said it, Mark. Social media is what we make it. It can be the devil's playground. It can be the sewer of the world if we turn it into that. But it can also do a lot of good. And I think if we play it right, social media can help hunting. Right? Played wrong, it hurts hunting. You know, people people put all this crap on there. You know, gut shot deer. They don't show any respect for the animals. You know, they fight with each other over it. And non-hunter or the anti-hunters love that stuff. That's just like parading our our garbage in front of them. Yeah. But like what Mark said, Mark said, hashtag integrity. And we didn't even talk about this for the before the podcast. I didn't even know about it. There, there's a lot of guys out there doing it right. We're all human. We make mistakes. But there's a lot of guys out there doing it right. And in social media, it gives us a chance to get behind each other, celebrate each other's successes, comfort each other when we've when we're down. You know, all that other stuff. That's the positive side of social media. And and it's really going to be whatever we make it. I realize your question might have been directed to more how is it maybe is affecting. Hunting as as a sport or as a you know how drawing your tags yeah it's made it's honestly it's made hunting harder you know because everybody <laughs> has the same information now yeah um, uh, I wrote it in my book the guy living in Rhode Island can get the same information now as the guy living in the in in the unit that's that's just what it is now and our 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 um, uh, game and fish departments are going to manage pressure through tags and weapons restrictions but the but the whole thing is social media i agree with mark 100 percent. it can be a good thing and if you see you see something getting turned into a sewer on, on, on a thread or something just don't join in or speak out against it often it only takes just one person to stand up against that stuff i do this on rock slide all the, all the time so does ryan all you got to do is stand up you don't have to fight with people but you can say hey we do things different different than that around here and um you know i see it with you know sometimes guys will post stuff about a hunt and everybody will get on and, and, and critique it 
more like criticize it. We don't need to do that to each other. You know, guys are sharing their heart with you a lot of times when they're posting this stuff. And even if they're different than you and, and they do it different than you, that, that doesn't mean we need to gang gang up on them or, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're not part of my tribe or my group or anything. And that's the bad part of social media. Yeah. But I've seen it only takes one person to stand up and do the right thing. I see it on Rockside all the time. And it can change the whole conversation. Turn, take something from that was going into the sewer, make it into something that's, that makes people feel welcome. There's a lot of young guys out there that they haven't found their place in the world yet. And I, I gave that example of when I shot that buck for that guy in my 20s. And, 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 and if we don't show these guys how to do it right, they're, they're following the trends. They don't know how to do it right until somebody stands up and says, hey, man, this is what you got to do. This is how you do it when nobody's looking. And, and also be transparent enough to say, hey, I've screwed up before. This is how it made me feel. You know, I, like I said, I broke the law. It wasn't a good deal. I regretted it. Everybody has those experiences out there. And, and I think, you know, some of these, this younger generation that's coming up, a lot of them don't have dads. A lot of them don't have anybody to take them hunting, stuff like that. They're just looking at social media. They're living their life through social media. We would have all been doing the same thing when we were 20. Yep. We, every one of us. That's why, you know, I, I don't look down on people for that stuff. I'm like, I've been doing this. You do, whatever, you do whatever's cool at, the, at that age. But a lot of good can come out of it. Yeah, I'll watch people all the time, and I'll see somebody say something that's completely – sometimes I get shocked. You know, that's kind of out of character for that guy to say that on social media. But I give him a chance. You know, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then by the second or third one, if I'm like, oh, man, this guy's really a Debbie down or going the wrong direction, it's so simple to go to the top, hit those three dots, yes. go to block. You just block them. And just move it on, just man, and I'll never see your garbage again. Yep. It's just that simple. I don't engage you. I ain't going to say nothing to you. Yep. But if you if – you that's if I'm watching your post. If you come to any thread of mine ever, period, end of story, and say anything negative or use foul language, you will never be back on my page That's again, right. period. I, I, I don't mind you criticizing something and, or being critical of or objective to something. But if you just come on and you're trolling and you're looking yeah. for trouble. You shot a buck at 80 yards. Are you kidding me? Goodbye. You're the demise of hunting. Goodbye. I don't know yeah. you. I don't need you in my yeah. life. That's so. right. How? What's an example of a time you've used social media to your advantage maybe to you know relative to mule deer hunting for example mark can answer that one how'd you end up on the wasatch yeah social yeah. media uh, absolutely i was trying to think of too. which one there's so many yeah, like right uh knowing you guys is social media coming you know if you didn't know about my seminars at this thing that's how we met and stuff like that and then hunting with you guys and uh, on our hunting 14 and then uh Actually, the first time I ever came to Utah was with a guy that, that reached out to me and just said, hey, if you ever want to, I think I had said something about, man, I'd like to come kill a buck on the Wasatch. You know, just I'd like to do that just once. Guy said, hey, my home is open to you. And he seemed legit. And I came over and I did it. And I, re and I realized it wasn't on his fault. I mean, it was good. It, it just, I realized the November Wasatch isn't for me, <laughs> but I'm all about the August Wasatch. I'm all over that. So, yeah, I, I totally, Utah my entire hunting of the Wasatch in the, in the last 10 years of all of the success that I've had on, on, on the Wasatch front, 100% stemmed from positive interaction and experience from inter social media. Yeah. And I, there's a story in my book. Um, uh, uh, that 2009 Montana big buck that I killed, uh, Northwest Montana, not a lot of deer, hard to find, ended up drawing a tag and was kind of trying to build points. And ended up drawing a tag that I shouldn't have even, even been able to draw for like five years. And um, that's before Montana's um, uh, changed their prices on their big game combo and their, and their deer tag. They were like 300 bucks. And so the odds were really bad just to even get the general deer tag. 
Um, and so I was, I was putting in for that because that was the only way to put in for 261 or 270 or some of their, 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 their high-profile units, which I ended up not drawing the limited quota, but I still had the general tag. And I thought, well, I don't want to waste it. And I knew some big deer had been killed in northwest Montana. So this was before Rock Slide. I just threw a post up on uh, Monster Muleys and... Um, you know, it was kind of controversial. I said, hey, I'd love to, love to at least hunt somewhere where there's a 200 bucks. You know, all the trolls dogpiled on there. <laughs> you fool, there ain't no 200 buck, inch bucks in Montana. And then it turned into this big thing, uh, you know, uh, fish, wildlife, and parks. They don't know how to manage it, yada, yada, yada. And, but some guy sent me a PM. And I don't want to swear on the podcast, but he said, don't listen to those a-holes. He says, <laughs> yeah. I live up here. He says, if you want to come deer hunting, I'll help you. Um, I, I can tell you some places. You know, he was, he was pretty straight up. It's tough deer hunting. We do get to hunt the rut, but you're going to be hunting in the, in the fur and the timber. You know, we don't have a lot, of, a lot of glassable country. So I took him up on it. Like I told you earlier, I hate going anywhere that I haven't been before. Um, I hired a pilot out of Idaho Falls to fly me up there. We went and met the guy, took him to dinner. Um, Looked over some maps, you know, I bought his dinner, all that stuff. Ended up being a pretty young guy, like a 25, 26-year-old guy, uh, but nicer than heck. And he was just totally impressed that we would come up and, you know, meet him. You know, I spent, spent a couple hundred bucks to get up there. I, I flew it so that I could get up there fast. I told him next morning, you ever flown a Cessna? No, man, I haven't. I said, we'll, we'll go take a look at some of this country. You know, it's not the kind of country you can fly for big bucks. Took him for a little fly. You know, he got to go fly and look at some mule deer country. Eight weeks later, I met him. We went deer hunting. We've been friends ever since then. He took me to some of his better spots. I ended up killing a six-year-old buck in Montana, one of my heaviest bucks. And that would have never happened if it wasn't for social media. Now I'm friends with the guy. Um, it's kind of funny because I ended up being about the same age as his mom. And, uh, you know, we yeah we came, we came from that same generation. They're always PG cracking here. jokes. Oh, no, nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing like that. But just, you know, it just ended up being a good friendship. And, you know, I know him and I will get a hunt, hunt together again. But that all came out of social media. Because remember, social media is people. And, and, and the sad thing about it, it can give you some, uh, some, some, you can be anonymous on it enough that some of your worst traits can come out. And if, you know, the same guy that can be a, uh, a dick squeeze on social media, he stand right here and be a really nice guy. Yeah. You know, and so, so some good things can come out of it. And just remember, everybody out there is, you know, people too. And, and I find, this is what I find, the better I treat people on social media, the better people treat me. I was yeah. just going to ask, how do you uh, reciprocate, you know, how, what, what are maybe an example of a time you've reciprocated on social media? You know, I guess some, there's probably guys out there right now going, guy sent Robbie down a good PM and he didn't even answer me. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys <laughs> send me PMs on they, they want a, a unit by unit breakdown on where to hunt in Idaho. And, and I, I put this out on some podcasts like a year ago. I can't even answer those. And it's not that I'm worried about giving away my hunting spot. It's just you, they, they turn into giant projects is what happens. And, and, and so if I've ignored your PM, I'm sorry, but I just don't have the time to invest in them. You know, I'm trying to watch my, my kid's soccer game and here's somebody wanting me to give them a unit by unit breakdown yeah. in Idaho. It just doesn't work. Right. And so, but, but, but back to what you said, when guys reach out to me about, Hey, how, you know, what can I expect on, you know, hunting Southeast Idaho in October stuff? That's the stuff I like. I mean, that's, what's in my book. I love, I love talking about that kind of stuff. So I don't mind that stuff a bit. If I've got time, Sometimes I have to kind of bow out gracefully if I, if I don't have the time. But those are good discussions. That's just talking about deer hunting. Yeah. And I've made some pretty good friends through that stuff. You know, I'll, I'll just answer some simple questions for a guy. And, man, a 
six months later, he sends me a picture of a buck. You know, maybe it's just a little two by three, but he's happy. You know, he got his first DIY buck in and that would have never happened by, by social media. You know, 20 years ago, I'd meet a guy at the show like this. That's how long I've been coming to this thing. Talk to him a little bit. I never know what happens after that. I don't even know who he is. Yeah. You know, where social media kind of allows you to, you know, ha have a little bit, little bigger circle. And, uh, you know, Mark did a seminar, I don't know, about three years ago. I think your seminar was on using social media for, for you know, finding areas and mm -hmm. everything. Um, totally can use it for that, but just be respectful. You know, anybody that knows what you need to know, if you start prying and, you know, really getting in, in into their space about where their honey hole is and what about this, they're going to shut down. Yeah. You know, it's better to just ask general questions. And, you know, if somebody's going to help you, they're going to. But, you know, some guys, get, they pry so hard that I end up, I've had to block a few guys. It's like, dude, you're sending me like three PMs a day on every unit. I'm going to apply here and I'm going to apply there. Join a research service. That's that's what yeah. they do. But yeah. yeah, I really do kind of enjoy the just the the general interaction. I'm a deer hunter, you know. I'm the camaraderie. Yeah, there. that kind of stuff yeah. right there. That's what I'm trying to get. I don't I don't mind that stuff a bit. You know, if I had. You know, a bu bunch of time every day, I'd probably get more engaged at that level. Yeah. But, you know, some of it just trying to make a living. And it's like, I can't answer 10 p.m.s a day on where to go hunting. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think I think uh, that was kind of the big things I wanted to hit on. You know, we dove into mule deer and all the, you know, uh, tactics behind why and where and when. And, um, and then I was curious about your guys' take on social media. So... Um, is there anything else you guys want to, I've, I've got my little fire round of questions and then one last question at the end, but is there anything else you guys want to bring up or. Well, I would just say, if you've ever thought about hunting mule deer, I met a guy here yesterday that, um, uh, he's, he's from Utah, but he's never hunted mule deer. Um, we started the podcast with this, just get started, just get yeah. started, you know, just, just get doing it and find out if you like it. I, it, it's pretty, it's a pretty neat sport. It's a very visual sport. That's why optics are so big in, in, in mule deer hunting. It's different than elk hunting, different than whitetail hunting and just give it a shot and, um, uh, you know, stay within your comfort zone and, um, uh, you, it might just light a fire in you that, uh, you know, three years from now you could be sitting on a podcast. All you want to do is hunt mule deer. That's all you talk about. You apply in every state. Um, uh, we, but we need more, we need more mule deer honors and we need people to support the mule deer foundation uh, that's that's just going to give us more opportunity in the future utah's actually doing a pretty good job with mule deer right now they're one of the few states that's hitting mule deer objectives and everything that comes from getting people involved not excluding people i know there's hunters out there going hey man the draws odds oh, are so bad now don't invite other people in yeah but this is going to die you know look at this look at this show there's a lot older people now and hunting we need more new hunters in mule deer R hunting we need more people tide, to like yeah, it. yeah rising tide lifts all boats there you go um, Robbie's, you're on social media on Instagram, right? At is it just yeah? At everything's Robbie under my name. Yeah, okay. Robbie Denning. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Facebook. I spend most of my time on Rockslide. Rockslide is my social media. We run a big forum on there. Encourage anybody to jump on there and join. There's a lot of helpful guys on there. Um, you know, I've had a lot of experience with what Mark said, hitting that block button on on uh, Rockslide. <laughs> it's called the ban button. We just yeah. kick them off. If people get out of line, we just kick them off. And and a lot of positive has come out of that. It's 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 given an atmosphere where people uh, feel free to kind of share what what their experiences are. It doesn't all have to be you know, big buck or whatever. Yeah. And honestly, it's Aaron Snyder that started all that because he got on there and just started punching people in the nose and yeah. setting <laughs> them out the back door. And five years later, it's like, hey, that's a it's a pretty civil crowd. So so that's the best place to really uh, uh, be with me. I'm not a big Instagram poster, but I'm on there. And then if you really want to dive in um, to Robbie's tactics too, you've got your book, yeah. uh, Mule Deer, and I believe hunting it's big hunting. Deer. 
Hunting how, big how meal to day. take the biggest meal day of your life, basically. Yep, right? yep. It's on Amazon. Excellent. If you Excellent see me at the read. show, I got some in yeah. the backpack. In fact, I guess this probably isn't live, but come to Mark's seminar. I always give him some books to give away. Yeah, you'll, always. You'll I, probably uh, sign a couple of those, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad to sign them, and it's good, good to meet people, too. So. I'm, I'm upset with you because uh -oh, I, I started mule deer hunting six years ago now, and I tried to buy every single book on the, on the shelf and tried uh -huh. to read it all, and you didn't. You didn't have a book yet. I didn't. Dude, <laughs> and I love. I took out, so much yeah. out of it now, but like, man, I was a sponge then, and I just like I needed Robbie Denning's book when I started, and it just. Well, thank uh, you very much. It was awesome, man. I thank you, and I'm glad you did it in paperback mm -hmm. because Cam's book is so freaking heavy to take into the backcountry <laughs> with that hard. Yours well, is that like wasn't half the by design. I didn't have enough money to make a really nice <laughs> book, but I promise the content the is good. Great. You know, and, and if you want if you want color, you can do the Kindle version and get full color in my book too. Cool. It, it's cheap, like ten bucks or something. I like the backpack version. <laughs> yeah, hey, that I've had a lot of guys tell me that. Hey, let's give David Long a plug too. Him and oh, Mike yeah, Duplan just released uh, the Edge. Yeah, that is probably graphically the best book Mule Deer book out there as far as the presentation of yeah. that book. You open that up, it's David has just got a knack for that kind of stuff. All his all those pictures are high quality. Mike he's, was a professional, very, very analytical. Yeah, very. David is, and yeah. he's a practical writer. I'm doing a review on the book on Rockslide right now. Hope hopefully have it out in the next couple of weeks. But but that's the next great Mule Deer, Mule Deer book in the pipe. Everybody should get that one uh mike duplan helped him with it and um mike's bucks mike killed some giant Jeez. bucks he's got one at the scree booth over here and his stuff's been kind of scattered like mine was before i wrote my book it was kind of everywhere a few in magazines a few on the internet to get them in in one book where you can kind of go through and look at the bucks that mike has taken and how he did them and you know and mike's a teacher you can you can read his stuff and you can learn a learn a lot from it and i just mean he he has a teaching writing style and so yeah. him and david paired up i'd recommend that book for anybody his first one was great that's one of them I grabbed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah that that's a good one. Honestly, I think this book, it's 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 better in a different way. It's a little more current because archery wasn't real big back then. <laughs> Announcement. Oh, oh, medic. Jason. Where's Jason at? He's a medic. We need medical to Somebody went down. They saw the price of a sleeping bag or something. <laughs> You're kidding that's me. A guided, a guided that's cheap we're, hunt? we're at 2,200. 2, yeah, it's like right here Elk somewhere. Court. 2,200. Yeah, right we'll there. see a Elk group court. of people. You're kidding me. A desert sheep tag is going to cost me that much? <laughs> guided hunt? Oh, gosh. He hit the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, David Long, I've got him on my list. Um, somebody's still down. Um I've got David on the list. He he actually sent me a copy of his book, and then I've, he's just given me time to really read through it, and then we're going to have him on, so that'll yeah. be good. Yeah, it's a good book. I um, highly recommend it. And then Mark, you're... Mark's in it. Mark is in the book. Mark's in the first one, too. Mark is in the book. both of his books. That's right. In both books. <laughs> you know what? When Dustin Goals. told me that you're coming hunting with us, he pointed, he's like, he's in... Your yeah, book, you know. he's in David. You know, look yeah. right there. Whole, I'm yeah. like, Sick. that's that's life, life goals right there. Everybody says he's not going to be able if to shake me off his leg uh, while we're on the rubies. That's all good, man. Everybody. <laughs> but Mark, you're on uh, Instagram and Facebook as uh, Muley Slayer One on Instagram. Yep. And, and then you, is Facebook. it just your name on Facebook? I have, yeah. My well, that's my family. That's I have two Facebooks. I have Muley Slayer, but they they want me to pay to play, and I won't. So I only have like four thousand followers on it. Well, I don't care. I interact with all my followers, but <laughs> they they won't. They don't want to share any of my stuff unless I want to pay them money for it. And I think yeah. that's garbage. So right. I have it. It's Muley Slayer, just straight one word, Muley Slayer. Yeah. But I'm gonna end my final thought on a little different note uh, on hey, here. Medical, appreciate your help. <laughs> um. 
I'm going to go the conservation route here because here's the deal, man. You come to these shows. If you're, if you're a mule deer lover like I am, like Robbie is, like you guys are, if you're a mule deer lover, what are you doing for them? Hey, we all want to mm-hmm. kill them, but what are you doing for them? What are you doing to make mule deer? What are you doing to keep a mule deer? You know, like I say all the time when I was 27, when I was 27, it was everything I could learn how to kill a mule deer. At 47, is everything I can do to make sure we have mule deer, right? Yeah. So if you're willing to come in here, what you're going to spend on your roasted nuts up in the front that smells so good yep. and your t-shirt in the back of this building you get those two things added up you could have just become a one-year member of the mule deer foundation and yep. you could have bought you get the magazine six times a year and you're actually making a difference for mule deer i mean the t-shirts and the nuts are cool but but you, you probably need to think about when you're going to seminars or when you're going to expos and you're going to isc shows and these things think about your little bit of budget you're bringing for the family that day, yep. you know, do something really nice for yourself. Renew your Mule Deer Foundation. And because that money goes on the ground in your state and, and it really helps out. Backcountry hunters and anglers, I'm a member of that. I don't, I'm a member of it just because it sounds like it's something I need to be a member of, but I'm not as engaged as I should be. But I joined that here last year. But join these conservation groups and ensure that you're doing everything that you can to fight the good fight that we have mule deer so we can have these podcasts and have passions and things we're doing so they that's charge my spiel. they charge you more right with how many tags you fill <laughs> no i took they, the year off last year oh yeah gotcha. so got i credit. said hey guys look gotcha. i'm not going to write you my check this year because i'm going to take the year off they should charge you more i saved one Dustin and i i saved one mule deer. i'm yeah. a life member home slice i don't pay nothing <laughs> but what i do do i what i do do is every year I buy two people, uh, I buy two people memberships. Uh, in my seminar, I used to give them away. What I'm going to do today is we're going to do it live on Instagram. Is I'm going to randomly walk through the crowd and ask people if they're Mule Deer Foundation members, awesome. and if they're not, I'm going to march them right over to the booth and sign them up and pay for it myself. Awesome. And that's that's something I'm doing for Mule Deer because I don't live in Mule Deer country, so I can't go put on the gloves and yeah, get the shovel sure. like I just lambasted everybody for on social media last week on the Mule Deer Foundation page, yeah. that thing they filmed, you know. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, what am I doing? I live in Texas now, right? So i got to mm-hmm. do something. So I'm going to go buy a couple of members. I was gonna, a recipient of that four years ago. Yeah, the whole So, yeah, was. I just come every yeah. year now. I just come check the box and renew. Redo. I appreciate you doing so. And you so, get a good magazine to boot. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we've got to wrap up here. Um, but w- one thing I will we'll, – uh, we'll save the fire round for – another episode with okay. you guys hopefully we can i, I mean, think we've both done it yeah. yeah well this is the first time robbie's been on but um oh one, one thing i want to do real quick is just um give a shout out to the the muley freak group um we're podcasting right now at the expo um but we're actually at their at their booth using their equipment yeah thanks guys. um they, yeah, they had us you. on yesterday and so and then we we you know, we I have a setup that only runs two mics, and so in order for us to run a an operation like this with four four headsets going, um, I asked them, and they graciously allowed us to uh, come over and use their setup. So, and and they have their own podcast, uh, the Muley Freak Podcast, and they you know they have a they have a huge following, and it's like a cult. You know, these guys that are and uh, and so we're we're big fans of theirs, and uh, if you know if you can head over and subscribe to their podcast, that would mean a lot to us. So. Um, but you know, the, the, the last question I'll ask, uh, before I do, I like to give, uh, each of my guests credit. Um, and so this is a little different dynamic with both of you, but, um, I think, I think a lot of this applies to, to both of you simultaneously. And I want to give you guys credit for, um, you know, being, being stewarded stewards of the industry or, or of hunting in general. Um, as you know, you, you guys aren't, 
you're not the up and comers anymore. And, and, and I think that you understand that. And, um, you know, those of us who are just kind of coming up in this, we look up to guys like you and we appreciate, uh, the good example that you guys give. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of guys out there, um, that are maybe in your, um, you know, hunting career, you know, a number of years and they're, I feel like they're willing to sell out their values for more likes and more followers and more subscribers, if that makes sense. And I don't get that feeling from you guys. I feel like you guys are going to be who you are. You know, Robbie Denning is going to be Robbie Denning. Mark Smith is going to be Mark Smith. Um, and, and people pick up on that, you know, and you might not have the biggest followings, you know, and, and I don't either, but you guys are the people who follow you are deep. And I, I, you know, they're yeah. there, you know, them and they know you. And I think that's more important than anything. Um, that's more important than having a million subscribers that you don't, you know, you don't have any interaction with. You're just, you know, you're just a social media presence. So Thank I want to give you guys credit for being willing to jump in the trenches and, um, you know, sit on a podcast and run rock slide. And, you know, Mark does his live things on, uh, Instagram and comes and does the seminars and all the stuff that you guys do um, to make sure that, you know, hunting has a good name and a good face. So, well, well thank, thank you, you man. Appreciate it very much. It means a lot. Yep. Best compliment uh, I've had in a long time. Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah. Good uh, too, Mark. Last question. And I know this was a mule deer centered uh, episode, but this is a backcountry podcast. And I know yeah. both of you hunt the backcountry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe Robbie first. Why, uh, why do you hunt the backcountry? You know, um, by the time I was out hunting on my own in my early 20s, you know, we grew up with horses and everything. Uh, the winter of 92, 93, that's the inflection point in mule deer hunting. Everything changed after that. And that was when I was really starting to get into it. Um, I grew up hunting brushy country, f fairly low elevation, uh, fairly easy to access. It just got a lot harder to find bucks. And the only place I was finding them was in the backcountry. So I took advantage of my grandpa and my dad being horsemen and just kind of learned that whole uh, art, I'll call it. I uh, met a couple good cowboys, Bill Cowboys. Bill Kelly, one of my friends out of Boulder, Wyoming, showed me most of what I know about packing, and it, it just gave me um, uh, a good way to get into the backcountry. I'm not a hardcore backpacker. My hat's off to guys like Mark and, you know, David Long and, you know, Aaron Snyder that climb those mountains and then pack their meat out. You know, about the only time I backpack is if I find a buck that just logistically horses don't make sense. Um, and so to me, the 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 horses bring a whole nother level of enjoyment to the to the to the entire experience. They, there's a lot of disadvantages that come with them, but I think it, their their benefits outweigh their their disadvantages. And so so that's how I pretty much access the backcountry. Mark gave a good definition of backcountry uh, in his seminar yesterday. I'll give you mine. My definition of backcountry. Backcountry is countrywide. I meet guys from Alabama that are like, hey man, there's a bunch of private property along this river, but if you you canoe down, there's a police a public that that, that, that that tees into the river and you can hike back in there and we're a mile behind there we don't see anybody hey man that's backcountry too and you know, for and for me it's just anywhere that's kind of hard to get to typically holds an older age class of animals and so that that's why I hunt backcountry to be clear though I don't just hunt backcountry you know I do I do hunt places like what Mark described on the Navajo where you know you can drive into places and you know things like that there's big mulder that live in places like that but you know if I could just pick one one style of hunting the rest of my my life yeah it would be backcountry all of it well mark why do you hunt the backcountry because i'm broke <laughs> i ain't got no money i need to get away from people so i can kill a deer to put in my freezer yeah, yeah i like the backcountry because it's the most it's just the most raw adventurous experience i can have you know and i, I said that when i was 25 i'll say it when i'm 35 and i'm 47 
and, and God willing, when I'm 75, like my cousin Tommy Young, 70, I just want to go on my two feet, on my own will, into somewhere truly wild and shoot a wild deer. Yeah. I, I, I really, that's just really what I like to do. Nothing to do with score, nothing to do with a taxidermist, nothing to do with my freezer. It, it's all to do with all of those things. But really, I just want to take my two feet, the stuff that will keep me alive long enough to get it done. And I think the most prime example of that was the Ruby's Hunt. Mm-hmm. I just want to go somewhere I've never even looked at on a map. I'm going to walk over there and shoot a wild deer with a bow and arrow. Put that thing on. Corey's back and walk that thing back to the truck. That's what <laughs> you follow me. I just was, just, you know, you, you could, if I was anybody else, y'all to lambasted the piss out of me for shooting that three point. But because it was me and just the way I made it look, because it was, it was truly spiritual for me. It was just, why not do that? Hell, let's all go shoot one, right? Yeah. I thought we'd all go shoot three points that day, but no, y'all, brother killed a 170, and you were, you were, you I were, ate a tag. you were after the unicorn, the yeah. white, the white forked horn, and, yeah. and you were carrying a twig and some string. Mm. So, <laughs> and I know why you didn't shoot one, but you know, I just, when I, when I got back, man, I could just tell the whole camp, you know, we've been in there three or four days, and we're like, oh, oh that was a brutal day. And I day come for walking in the too. middle of the night with this buck on my back, yeah. and they're like, everybody's back Holy up. Cuss, you know they're good Mormon boys. Oh, cuss, he's got a buck on his back, and uh, wow, though, and I was fat, man, I was 240 pounds. We're like, oh my gosh, he got one, but it lifted the whole camp up, and that experience for me was just like, it was awesome. It was just, I just like backcountry because it's a truly wild, raw experience, and it's just between me and that mule deer and God, and I just like That's that. Right. And it's, there's no interference, there's no planes, there's no cars, there's no buzzing four wheelers and dust clouds. Yep. That's it. Yep. Perfect. Thank you guys for coming on. Hey, appreciate we appreciate it. it. Thank that you, bro. Fun. Thank you so much. Thank okay. you, bro. Thanks, Corey. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.